Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, good morning and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I am Brent Wilsey and thank you for joining us this morning. I have been doing the Smart Investing Show here in San Diego on local radio for actually 28 years now. If you have investment questions or want a fundamental analysis of a stock you own or looking at buying, selling, or holding, the phone numbers call in are 866 577 2473. That's 866 577 2473. And as always, I get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Chase, good morning. Good morning. Well, we got a new thing here beyond for two hours this morning. So people may be saying, wait, you guys are normally on at nine. It's eight o'clock. You guys are starting early. We're starting early because we're going from eight to 10 it, from now on. I know. And it's, it's interesting to be back because we did a, radio show at eight o'clock and I've done it pretty much my whole career and you've done it for a long, long time as well. So it's, it's good to be back. It was a little weird waking up early though. I had to roll out of bed and get going. Yeah. It's kind of like, uh, and I usually get up by the light and it's like, Oh, okay. Well, normally I could have laid in a little bit longer, but today I got, no, I got to jump up and get going and, and start the smart investing show because I know we're going to pick up a lot of new listeners who said, uh, well, maybe they're, maybe they're up at 8 and they got to go out and do things before that. But uh, we're, we're welcome to have all the new listeners. And uh, as always, we've got a lot of things to talk about. So uh, let's talk about uh, this past week uh, about DoorDash. Because DoorDash went public with an IPO price of 102 And before you get too excited, uh, you look back and say, oh, gosh, I should have bought DoorDash when I first started trading. I made so much money. It is important to note that the vast majority of the public wouldn't have paid $102 in share. Instead, a better number for investors using the public stock market is look at the opening price of $182. And I don't know why the media does this, because it really makes people feel bad, but very few get that $102. Most people paid at least about $184. I mean, the, the IPO price is more important for like the founders of the company, yeah. the private equity companies, you know, a company like SoftBank that did invest in DoorDash. I, I will point out before people, oh, SoftBank's so great. They also have a lot of flounders as well or, oh, <laughs> or yeah, yeah. duds. They've, they've had you a know, lot of duds lately. WeWork was a, a disaster. So, I mean, that's the type of companies that are getting this IPO. It's, it's not your average investor investing in the stock market. So you're so right when the media just is like, oh, it's up 86%. And you're like, oh, man, what was I doing? I missed out. Don't feel too bad about it. And, and even though you may have missed the huge surge from the IPO price, the question now is, now that it is on the public market, should you buy it? That's a big question, and and uh, I I I just don't think that people they look at how much it's done in the past and think oh it's going to do this going forward. Um, we're saying avoid this company uh, to begin with. I normally do not like to see when companies uh, issue special voting stock to those at the top, which allows them to retain power even if they do a poor job. Why don't you explain what I'm talking about, Chase? Yeah. So what actually happened here is the CEO of DoorDash, Tony. XU, I don't know if that's shoe or how to exactly pronounce it, but Tony XU was issued special voting stock in this case that gives him about 69% of the voting control. 
So he doesn't own 69% of the company. They just kind of did a little financial engineering, I'll call it, where instead of issuing all normal stock, they said, here you go, Tony, here's some special stock for you, where even though it's not worth 69% of the company, you get 69% of the voting power, which means, again, he can essentially do whatever he wants. He could run the company in the ground, and it really would be hard to get him out of there. Yeah, and, and not get him out of there, but but also, too, he can do whatever he wants because he has complete control of it. And, you know, he can do things which uh, he might uh, vote for the candidate and not vote but put money for the candidate of somebody that you hate. That's his privilege. You, you know, you, you can't stop him from doing these things. And, and, and look at some of the numbers. Uh, another issue is riding the wave of the pandemic. As more people are ordering from home, even – even with this, uh, they made a profit of only $23 million in, in Q2 and had a loss of $43 million in Q3. The company now does control about 50% of the delivery market, so they're in the prime position right now. But I don't see that lasting. I think that's going to change over the next year. Well, the reason they've done so well is that the strategy that they had going for them versus some of the other players, you know, the Postmates, Uber Eats, they were a little bit more concentrated in your downtowns, your urban areas where – DoorDash has been quite prevalent in the suburban areas. Mm. So with a lot of people now staying at home and, you know, people moving out of the downtown areas, that's why they've gained market share. So the thing I'm concerned about is even with all this positive news, again, DoorDash's CEO came out and said, you know, trends do tend to stick. So people ordering from home, that's kind of here to stay. And I, I agree with that to some extent. I think it's completely over done at this point i mean it's really the only option that some people have they don't feel like going out because there's nothing to do like most time you go to dinner and a movie right well what do you do now oh i'm gonna go pick up my dinner and then go home i mean maybe that's some excitement for the day (laughs) so a lot of people are i think are ordering and i think this is a prime time for these companies and to have it all these positives circulating this and you still lost money i it just baffles me that this company is worth what it is and having 50% market share. I, I think you're the top dog right now. People are going to be doing what? Offering discounts, trying to take that market share away from you, which is going to, again, fuel more costs for these companies, which is going to hurt the bottom line. So I, I just, my big problem with this company for the many years we've been talking about it. I don't see a, a good way to profitability and sustainable profitability in the long term. Yeah, because one thing you want to have is you want to be have the ability to raise your prices. And they really can't raise prices because the barrier to entry is not very high. I mean, you can virtually, you got what, Uber Eats, you got um, Grubhub, I guess, is another one. Uh, Lyft doesn't have anything to do that. No. Who knows? Maybe they'll come out with something saying, you, you know, this is pretty good. They have thing. the network. They have the network, yes. And, and that's what it kind of takes the network. And also small, you know, little corner guys that can say, hey, we can just do San Diego. Yeah. So I, I, the, the barrier to entry here is not very high. Um, but also, too, what I don't like about these is that they're very expensive. And I say not expensive to you, but to the restaurants. I mean, the, the commissions that they charge are 20 25 I've heard as high as 30% commissions they're charging, which as a restaurant, you're saying, wait a minute, I'm making a 25% commission. I'm going to give everything away, my profits. That's what my profit margin is. Why am I going to keep doing this? We do know some smaller restaurants where they say, no, it's not profitable. We're not going to do it. Yeah, I mean, it, it just doesn't make sense for them. And, you know, to get that new customer, it's like, well, I, I'm not going to pay to get that new customer. And the companies that really can work with the DoorDashes and the Postmates, 
it's your larger larger businesses because they're doing so much volume that they can kind of negotiate a little bit more. I mean, kind of changing gears a little bit here, but it's kind of like Apple's marketplace right now. They're getting in trouble because they've negotiated with some of their larger players a discount on it. Right. So they're saying that's not <clears throat> fair to the smaller player. It's kind of the same thing now with, I think, the DoorDashes where it's like these larger businesses might be able to negotiate a better deal where if you're a, a mom and pop shop that only has one store, I can't afford to be on DoorDash. Right. So it, it's it's an interesting situation. And I mean, the thing I do want to point out is if you do see a small business on DoorDash Postmates, don't order on DoorDash <laughs> or Postmates because I can tell you right now these small businesses are hurting really right. bad and many of them are dying. I mean, I was, I was just telling you beforehand, uh, there's a, a restaurant right by where I live now. It's, it's called Flora. It's this Italian restaurant. And uh, I didn't go inside. My girlfriend went inside to pick up the food and she said that it was the sweetest Italian guy ever. He was super nice. <laughs> and he opened it literally in the middle of the pandemic. Oh, geez. And, you know, I we drove by there and we never went to it, unfortunately. Um, but we drove by there last week and it, it seemed like a nice little place when it was open. I'm like, gosh, we got to keep this guy going and stuff. And it was the best lasagna I've ever had. So if you love lasagna, love Italian food, be sure to take out Flora in uh, Carmel Valley. But point is, try and help these small businesses. Do not order on the post, Mason DoorDash. Get out of your house. Go pick it up. Yep. You know, get a little action in your life. Because yeah, it'll help out that small business. And, and you, say, you say the name of the restaurant, but what area town is that in? Carmel Valley. Carmel Valley. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, because that's what you want to do. You want to help out these small businesses because they are really struggling. And, again, you're, you're right. Don't think that you're ordering through DoorDash. You're helping them out. They're probably say, oh, gosh, another DoorDash customer. Um, and what they hope is that maybe you'll become a customer and hopefully go back and pick up it yourself. But if you keep ordering and ordering from DoorDash, it's like, oh, gosh, you're not making anything off this uh, this account area. Yeah. I mean, we, we've been trying to do our part, too. You know, last night we ordered from one of our other favorite restaurants, uh, Yanni's yeah. Bar and Grill and Scripps yeah. Ranch. I mean, you know, get out. There's so many wonderful small restaurants here. And you want to make sure that we're not having, you know, them disappear down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Because when things turn around, which they will. Um, you'd hate to have like, oh, our favorite restaurant closed. Well, that they're trying to hang on through this craziness uh, that we're into it, and I and I'm hoping that our governor loosens uh, up a little bit and maybe says, okay, let's do outdoor dining because he did loosen up. Remember, like six months ago, oh, can't go to the beaches, can't go to playgrounds. He actually said uh, in a speech the other day, get out, go to the playgrounds, go to the <laughs> beaches. Like, who's that speaking? I really knew some speaking. So hopefully, maybe he realized that he's making a mistake. And say, okay, let's loosen this up a little bit. Let's ha- open outdoor dining at least. Because a lot of restaurants have spent a lot of money trying to make their outdoor, outdoor dining uh, a, a nice place to eat. And here in San Diego, fortunately, they, they can do that. So. Yeah. And I did want to touch real quick, too. So we, we brought up the, the open price for DoorDash of yeah. uh, 182 I, I just checked the current <coughs> price for it. So, yes. you know, if you, if you did get the IPO price and were private equity, most of the time those people can't sell anyways. Yeah, you're still up a decent amount as it was, again, 102 but the current price is now 175 So if you were that first person to buy DoorDash on the open market, you're actually down right now. You're not up like the media makes it seem yeah, like. Yeah, like, oh, people made so much money in DoorDash. No, I didn't. You know, and we didn't do it. I say I, meaning yeah. your example there. So let's move on and talk about Ford because uh, Ford's trading at under nine times uh, next year's earnings. Uh, Ford presents an interesting case to value investors. We, we love value investing because it makes a lot of sense to us. Uh, the stock remains negative on the year, even as GM has now uh, seen an increase of over 10%. Uh, should we talk about Tesla? Well, we'll talk about Tesla. <laughs> Brendan's not here today, but we'll talk about Tesla, which has skyrocketed more than 600%. Uh, 
Uh, from an evaluation standpoint, though, the numbers are compelling. Although Ford was the fifth largest automaker by vehicles sold last year, its market cap is barely in the top 15. I mean, it, it is just something we look at saying, wow, I mean, they're selling all these vehicles, but their market cap's not keeping up. And I mean, again, you look at like companies now like the Teslas, the, the Neo, which is a, a Chinese company that's an electronic or electric vehicle company Fisher as well. Fisker is another one. That yeah, Fisker. Fisker, Fisker. I don't believe Fisker's topped Ford's market cap okay. yet. I, I do believe Neo was ahead of it for a little really? bit. Wow. I believe so. Um, so you look at these companies, they've now surpassed them, even though they're doing a fraction of the sales. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very interesting. But there are some concerns that we do have with Ford. I mean, the number one I have, I kind of talked about the electric vehicles. I do believe Ford has fallen behind a little bit in the mm -hmm. AV and the EV world. AV is autonomous vehicles, EV is electric vehicles. And I, I will say, I think that if they can get the F-150, if they can actually make it a good electric truck, I, I think that will be compelling to the right type of people. But then also I look at it too. I think a lot of the F-150 guys, I don't know if they want an electric truck. So maybe, maybe not. But that's the big thing for Ford is the truck. Yeah, I, I, I've said before, I will never buy an electric vehicle. I just like the sound of the engine. I like the feel of the engine. I just, I, that's why I am. And I think you're right. There's a lot of truck guys or construction guys like, no, I want a, an engine. I want something that's going to do well, uh, not an electric vehicle. And electric vehicles are here to stay, obviously. But but you're right. I mean, it's, it's just something that is, is not going to happen. Uh, looking at some other numbers here, I mean, I, I, uh, they sold, what, 18 million cars over the last uh, three years, uh, Ford's total repair cost on a warranty uh, was close to $13 billion, or about $700 per car. Now, compare that to GM, which had sold 26 million vehicles, sold in the same, same time frame, and the costs are about $9 billion on warranty, about three fifty dollars a car. So the last problem with Ford is uh, also they had that problem with the warranty thing, that they, they've got to fix that. Well, it tells me their quality is bad. Yeah, and I do remember... I think it was in the 90s. Ford had the slogan, quality, job one. I think they dropped that because their quality is not there. And they're, they're, and warranty costs can kill you like they're doing right now. It's killing their margins. I mean, yeah. it, it's not good for them. Yeah. And then the last thing we look at, too, is kind of interesting. that They've had some problems in Europe. I mean, they've had now two consecutive years of losses over with their European operations. So, I mean, there's, again, another <clears throat> problem that they have to kind of fix. It seems like... They've lost a little bit of their, their traction in terms of being such a great uh, American automotive powerhouse. Yeah, and, 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 and uh, as you said, GM, they, they, they didn't pull out of Europe. I, I, it was just a loser for them. And I, I think Ford, I've not heard them say anything about doing that, but I think they need to do that as well. well I mean, about it? Yeah, I was going to say, I think there are some opportunities in the stock because sometimes you want to find a company that, that does have temporary problems. And I, I think some of this can be resolved. I mean, they could potentially sell their European operations and kind of take a, a ticket from the GM playbook and, and get out of there and invest into, you know, the electronic, electric, I keep saying electronic. I don't know why. The electric vehicles <laughs> and the autonomous we're, vehicles. We're early this yeah. morning. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of build back uh, here and also spend some money to perhaps fix their quality. That, that's a big problem. But if they can drive down those warranty costs, I mean, that's going to be huge to their bottom line because that's been costing them a lot of money. So that is, I'll say, a negative and a positive. Now, the question is, can they do it? Right. I, I'm not sure. Right. And, and when we say temporary problem, we're not talking one or two months. We're talking temporary problem two to three years for a business to turn things around. The big question is, can they do that? I know also, too, uh, they've entered an alliance with the Volkswagen. 
uh, and perhaps at the right price, there could be an acquisition target. Um, I, I, I just don't feel that yet. I think it's too early. So we're not telling people, oh, yeah, jump on to Ford. But I think it is something that could be, what's this, 2021 almost here, maybe 2023, 2024. We could see a different car maker. Uh, but I'm not sure. I, I don't think I'm excited about the Volkswagen. I hope they don't merge with Vol uh, Volkswagen. Yeah, I, I really think that <clears throat> what could be more likely is I, I know while Ford's kind of passenger car businesses struggled over there more of their commercial vehicles have actually done pretty decently over in europe so that might be an enticing acquisition target for volkswagens maybe buying their european operations since volkswagen is a european company and then that would give ford some nice money to move forward and, and, and invest back here in america and you know getting back to just being the top dog in the f-150 and, and just driving those profits higher on that truck but, you know, you know, they also have to come out with uh, some more models that people want to buy because you can't live just on the truck. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and I can't even think of the cars that they have. And then I, I wasn't really thrilled they used the iconic name of the Mustang <clears throat> for their uh, electric vehicle. I think it's, is it called the Mustang? Mach 3. Mach yeah. 3, yeah. And it's like, gosh, that was a super I think muscle it's ugly. Car. Yeah, and it's ugly and stuff. And, uh, I mean, maybe other people like it. I don't know. But that, that you can't live on one or two uh, models. Uh, I mean, GM has, you know, they've got Cadillac, they've got Buick, they've got um, uh, uh, the, the cruise line. They've got so many different yeah. things. Not the cruise line, but cruise automation. <laughs> yeah, cruise line, cruise automation, yeah. Um, <laughs> no GM cruise lines yet. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> when you say cruise line, that, <laughs> yeah, that can't be messed up. So. But I would say <laughs> Ford does have the Bronco. Uh, that's another one that, that oh, could yeah. be a little nostalgic coming it's back. A, it's still in the truck. Well, it's an the, SUV. It's not yeah. a truck. Yeah. So, I mean, they have the Explorer. They have a couple things that are a little bit right. higher margin, but that's why I almost think, and I, I, I'm still not saying, oh, yes, it's going to happen. They just seem like more of a niche player now in the truck market where they could be, and they don't have, like a lot of these other automakers, you know, other than Tesla, you have, you know, GM does have the other brands. You have Volkswagen. They have multiple brands as well. Right. You have, you know, all these companies that, that I think Daimler's the other one that has multiple brands there. And Ford only has Ford. So that's why I'm almost wondering. It's like, well, are they potentially an acquisition target? Because yeah. they only have Ford. And I'm going to give it like a 5% chance they get acquired. I'm not saying <laughs> it's very high, but I think there is some chance that... Five years from now, Ford could be owned by another business. Five, ten years from you now. Yeah, and I kind of agree with you because they do have the F-150, the truck line, which maybe somebody wants that. I, I know Volkswagen owns, what, Audi, Lamborghini, I think Aston Martin, so they have a lot of different things. That's kind of the way companies are going. So, yeah, Ford, unfortunately, could no longer be an American company uh, three, four, five years down the road because it got picked up and they just couldn't survive on their own, so we hate to see that. Uh, phone number is 866 Five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. And as always, that gets you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. And before we take the calls, I just want to give the phone number so people can start calling in. Uh, I want to talk about China during the pandemic, and this is. I, I want to be careful how we deal on this here because it can't go very political. But uh, one country that has been a big winner with the pandemic is China. And as economies around the world have shut down, there has been a demand and a shift away from services towards goods. And China being a large goods producer, that has also reopened its factories and the economy sooner than much of the world saw in the exports to grow 21% compared to November of last year. So think about that. We're in a pandemic and 
and they grew <laughs> their their exports by 21% year over year, um, which led to a, a, a record monthly surplus of $75.4 billion. Yeah, I mean, it is just something that has been very beneficial to them because, again, we're, we're it took us a long time to get manufacturing back here in the United States. Yes. And, yeah. I mean, you talked about your, your bed and uh, your furniture for, for months almost. <laughs> I know. And, and months, I still yeah. don't have my bed frame that we had ordered, and it was damaged, so we had to get a new one. Still don't have the new one. So, I mean, <laughs> it, it's just it's a big problem here. But China, I mean, they got back to it quickly. Yeah. And they, not to be political, but supposedly haven't had that many cases, which I don't know <laughs> if I believe, but they've been, you know, working and getting manufacturing up and running. And, you know, people right now, they have cash. But the problem is with having cash, there's no place to spend it. So they're buying goods. Well, yeah. if we can't buy the goods here in the United States because nobody's making goods here, well, I guess I'll buy Chinese goods because that's the only place to go. Yeah. I mean, it, it's created a, a pretty big dilemma here. Right. And, and and one thing, again, I will get just a little bit political here, is that one thing I, I, I liked about Trump was he said, America first. Uh, now with the new administration, they're saying, oh, no, no, that's not right. Uh, I don't see why they don't understand that China wants to be the world power. And this is how they're going to do it, because what makes you powerful is money. And if we continue to do these type of deals where we keep buying their manufacturing make them more and more powerful and eventually they will be the world dominant power which I, I i am a little bit afraid of the administration that they're gonna say oh no no we need to be nice and i'm sorry china's not nice they're a communist country and and they want to dominate the world and then we'll have nothing we can do because they got how many what billion people in china versus our 330 million and yeah. and you start giving them money and they can have you know they got their weaponry now and it just it just, it just worries me down the road you know 10 20 years and I really liked uh, years ago when Trump came out with a trade war saying, no, we got to stop this because we're giving all the money. Uh, it is something that worries me in the new administration. Will it be tough on China trade or just? I hope so. Yeah. That, that, that's what you can say is hope so, because if not. Well, because I do want to point out real quick before we do start moving on to the calls and questions. Um, the other thing is with uh, the trade war, the trade pact that we signed with China uh, through October, Chinese imports of goods covered in the agreement were about 55% of the year-to-date targets. So, I mean, they're pretty far behind on it. And and I will say maybe some of that is because we shut down the economy. And so I, I'm not going to give China the complete, oh, they're not doing their part. Right. But <clears throat> there is definitely that question because China has always... I don't know. Are they are they doing it to kind of? Oh yeah, yeah, they're building their own type of you know manufacturing, their own agriculture stuff, and and saying ah we don't need the United States. So this is why I, I'm going to be very interested to see what the response is next year to this trade pact. Saying you guys only did sixty percent of what you said you were going to do. How can we fix this? Yes. Or are we going to say, oh that's okay. This will just be the new normal. Gosh, I hope not. Because again, with that. We need to be tough with them because they, they are. And, and people forget. They, they think that every country around the world is like us. Oh, they're nice and they have, you know, everybody's equal. And No, China is a communist country. And the government tells people what to do there still. And they tell companies what to do. And uh, I'm sorry. They're, they're, they're not nice. They're about themselves. So for them, it's China is number one. That's why I like when they said uh, our country was uh, USA number one. So, um, because we don't benefit from China to that degree, that's going to benefit us long term. So, 
All righty, let's move on to the phone numbers here. 866. I was just going to say real quick, sorry sure, before sorry. I interrupt you. Is, again, we talked about supporting local restaurants. Yes. <laughs> Make sure you're supporting U.S. companies as well because a lot, I know, uh, you know, I have a, a friend that's a retail company owner. Right. And it, it's just so important to support those companies as well. I mean, they're hurting tremendously. You know, yeah. help out the, the U.S. businesses at this time. Don't go over to China. Their economy is actually doing just fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got to help rebuild our economy. Our economy, exactly. All right, uh, phone numbers, 866-577-2473. Again, that's 866-577-2473. And as always, that'll get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, final opinion about what you want to talk about. Let's go out to Coronado and speak with John. John, you're in the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase. How can we help you? We'll tell you what, guys, talking about supporting local business, the stock I was looking at is Cohu, C-O-H-U, a local San Diego company. Okay. And do you hold that or looking at buying it? You know, just kind of kind of looking at it. Um, you know, I don't really uh, play in small cap stocks very often, but this mm -hmm. one kind of caught my eye, specifically related to the 5G rollout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and this is one that I've looked at for, gosh, I think since the 90s. This company's been around for a long time, and, and it just seems to be in this range for a long time. So I'm kind of excited to look at it to see if things have changed or not. Coming again is Kohu Incorporated, symbol is C-O-H-U. Uh, unfortunately, John, no P-E ratio versus 32 for the industry. We do see price of sales 2.7, half the industry of 5.6, so that's a big positive there. Uh, we see that no price of tangible book value, which, which means they have a lot of intangible assets. I don't like seeing that. The industry is at 25.45. We see price to cash flow 198 versus 17. That is very expensive. And then we do see that they do not pay a dividend. I thought they used to pay a dividend, but maybe I'm wrong on that. So no dividend there for Kohu. Uh, looking at the sales year over year, they are down 5.9%. Industry was up 4.9%, so that's not a good sign. However, earnings per share did climb by 59% for Kohu when the industry was only up 7.3%. But then you got to kind of ask yourself, wait a minute, how can you grow your sales at nearly 60% when your sales went down? So you want your earnings, uh, you got to check those earnings to make sure how they, they, they did that there. Look at the balance sheet. They got a good balance sheet. Uh, current ratio is 3 versus 2.2. That's a big positive. Debt to equity, 71.7. That's okay. The industry is at 61. We see uh, return to equity, a negative 9.3 versus a positive 20 for the industry. So that's not good. Along with a net profit margin, a negative 7.8 versus 7.3. So we got to check in what's going on with this company here, why they losing money, what's going on. We do also see receivable turnover is 4.7 versus 6.8. And then inventory turnover is 2.5. Not quite as good as the industry at 3.4. Chase, what do you got for the earnings going forward? Well, first, I'm very excited. I know John said this company's local, but I didn't know it was in Poway. I love Poway. Oh, I didn't know it was in Poway either. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I live in Poway. <laughs> Went to high school in Poway, coach at Poway, so I love this company. <laughs> but uh, they're a semiconductor company as well, so uh, I, I didn't know we had any semiconductor companies I didn't in Poway. Know that's, that's interesting. Yeah. But uh, looking at the prices here, current price is $37.08, 52-week high, $38.08. 88 cents and wow it has just exploded off the 52-week low of eight dollars and 89 cents and with that huge surge in the price there the market cap's now a, a decent size at about 1.5 1.6 billion dollars yeah, so a decent size, size company yeah. there now if i look forward to december 2021 I, i'm going to look at the the non-gap earnings for you here john just 
just to kind of give you an idea of where that stands, but also want to have a further conversation around that. So the non-GAAP mm-hmm. earnings are $2.53. Now, that's exciting because we, we get a target sale price of $40.99, which would put this company eh, about a 10% gain from the current price. But the problem here is the GAAP earnings is just $1.25. And this is where a lot of the problems ensue from what Brent discussed with the decline in earnings, the growth in sales. I don't know if they're having mm-hmm. write downs or what they're backing out because in 2019 they lost money on a gap basis but made money on a, a non-gap basis and then in 2020 same thing they're expected to finish the year and, and I'm going to say these are pretty good estimates because yeah. we already have three quarters worth of data for 2020 <laughs> they are estimated to make money on the non-gap basis and again lose money on the gap basis so got to understand what they're backing out there and even with that I mean uh, about an 8 to 10% target sell price not super excited about buying at this level and I, yep. do, I do see going out to, and again, we're, we're about a month away here from getting these numbers when they report earnings in January. Uh, I do see, fortunately, in December 2022, the earnings are expected to rise again, which can help that. But I don't think it'll be enough to rise to uh, for a buy. Because we, we like about a, uh, about a 25, 30% uh, margin of error, as we call it. What's the target sell price in 2022? Uh, I just missed it. Um, but the, the target sell price would actually generate about a 30% return from the current level. So... I mean, there is some potential here. I, I just get a little bit worried because the target sell price would be forty seven ninety five. The reason I get a little bit worried with it is it has just surged off the bottom. Yeah. I mean, it, it's definitely riding this momentum. Is there going to be a pullback here when people say, you know, I'm going to take some profits? Right. And I think that might happen at the beginning of next year, perhaps. We'll yeah. see. I mean, it, and, I, uh, and I do want to see why they had those losses yeah. uh, on the net profit margin and so forth. What's going on? So before you jump in this company, uh, take a look at what's going on with the financials because there could be an issue that could uh, be ongoing. All right, John? All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks for calling. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Right, bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Bruce. Bruce, you're in the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase. How can we help you Morning, fellas. I'd like to have you uh, look into Luminar Technologies. It's L-A-Z as in zebra R. Okay, and do you hold that or looking to buy that? Looking to buy. Looking to buy. It's sensors for uh, auto driving. Oh, like uh, autonomous driving and stuff? Right, yeah. Okay. And and, and then where'd you see that? Oh, I've read several articles. One was in the uh, Wall Street Journal several weeks ago, like December, early December. Okay. All right. Well, let's take a look at uh, a company symbol is L-Z-A-R. Wait, where where is it? No, L-A-Z-R. L-A-Z-R. Okay. Let me get uh, this here. I put the wrong thing in, so I apologize for that. Uh, Let's see. It's not populating. I, I got it on up. Yahoo, but I don't have it on. Yeah, it's not coming up on the Reuters here, and uh, that's why I'm having problems. I, it's not even uh, listed at all. Uh, I, you, you I sure do have it. You, oh, you have it on I, Yahoo? I searched it by the company name, and I, I do apologize. It looks like Reuters does not cover this company. Is it an American company? Shouldn't be. I mean, wh- wh- where is it based? Oh, I'm kind of asking both of you guys. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody give me an answer. I'm digging around here, yeah, because I'm looking here, and it's based in Orlando, Florida. Um, so I, I might be able to give you some information, is I it, guess. Is it very small? Uh, I can see the stock price fell 18% yesterday. Okay. <laughs> Pretty big decline. Uh, All right, well, 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 why don't we get what we got here, what you, what you, got, what you found, because I got nothing. So. 
Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, just kind of looking. I mean, this is very, very strange, and I, I don't know what is going on here. I mean, even looking at Yahoo, there, there's no data on the market cap. Um, all I can see is the kind of current price movement with the current price of 28.12, 52-week low, $9.45, 52-week high is $47.80. So, I mean, we, we've really seen this stock move all over the place. And, yeah, I, I, I do apologize. We just don't have really anything on this business, unfortunately. Yeah, and you said it was a Wall Street Journal, what, a few weeks ago, uh, Bruce? Yeah, like in December 4, that I'm I'm looking at the clipping now for that one, okay. or December 4. And it, it probably just went on the, mark, on the market here. Yeah, that, that, that could be, could have been a very small IPO, because I've heard nothing about it. Uh, you know, we watch business news throughout the week, so it wasn't obviously a big one. Um, but, you know, one, one thing, too, when you find a company like this, if you can't find any information on it, it it's one you don't want to invest in because if you can't find the information, no one really has big interest into it, and more than likely it's not going to move because you, ne you need to have people have interest in the company you're buying uh, so they know about it. So, um, you know, take a little more research if you want to on it. Try to give us a call back next week. We'll, we'll look at it again. But, I mean, right now something's, something's missing, just not worth it. I, w I would say move on. A lot of good companies out there that have a better uh, – track record or uh, easier to find. And so. I don't like how volatile it is as well. I mean, yeah. It's all over the place. And that's how it's probably a very small. Maybe it's a penny yeah. stock. Could be. Yeah, could be. All right, Thanks Bruce. Thanks for your help, fellas. All right. Well, nice there. well, thanks for calling. We're here for you. All right, Bruce? Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All righty. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go up to Carlsbad and speak with Brett. Brett, you're in the Smart Invest Show. Brent and Chase, how can we help you? Hey, guys. A local company called Sorrento Therapeutics. Uh, oh. They are in the COVID and therapeutics and vaccine space. Very broad-based portfolio, but I don't know if they've missed their timing for the pandemic. And mm -hmm. then also, do you have any suggestions on a broader-based market as the expected stimulus been priced in or should we expect a small pullback okay lot lot, lot there and and you own do you own this uh, sorrento therapeutics do you own it look at buying that no I, I i owned it it ran up to 18 and then it pulled back to six i'm thinking about getting back in but because it's been very volatile uh-huh near it's near its uh lows so just want to know what you guys thought about it all right. Well, let's take a look at uh, Sorrento Therapeutics Incorporated. Their symbol is S-R-N-E. Uh, unfortunately here, Brett, there's no uh, P-E ratio, which means they're not making any money. We do see price of sales. Wow. 50 versus 11.2. Price to book value 23.7 versus 12.3. They do not pay a dividend. Looking at their sales growth, this is why the stock probably went up quite a bit. Uh, revenue growth year over year for the last 12 months is 64%, well above the initial 13.2. And even the earnings uh, year over year went up 35% when the industry was down 7.5. The balance sheet looks okay. We've got a current ratio of 1.2 versus 4 uh, for the industry. So the industry has a lot of liquidity. Uh, this company does not have as much liquidity as the industry. Uh, debt to equity is also higher, but it's okay, 82 versus 49 Return to equity is very poor, though. It's a 230 versus 19.4. My guess is they probably have a very small amount of equity, uh, which is why it's so low. 
Uh, net profit margin does check in at, and I'm looking at this to make sure I'm right, but it's a negative 734%. Industry has negative 27. So you really want to understand those financials. How are they you know, losing so much money uh, on, on, on the bottom line? And the receivable term looks okay at 3.2 versus 4.8. And I say, okay, probably not as good as I would like it to be. But inventory turnover, 2.7. That is better than the industry at 2.2. Chase, very excited to hear what you have to say on the earnings over there. Yeah, so current price here for Sorrento Therapeutics is $7.87. A 52-week high here, $19.39. And then the 52-week low is $1.55. So I I think it's kind of riding this COVID wave, it sounds Mm -hmm. like. And people, I mean, we've seen stocks like Novavax just explode. And I I know there was another (coughs) one out there. I forget the name of it, but it was hot and then it was not. I mean, there's, there's all these kind of COVID stocks that people just bit up, not because of the fundamentals, but because... It was almost like the dot-com thing. It was, well, COVID. So people were buying it. So big, big concern there. I will point out that this is very, very strange here. Going out to December 2021, the estimated earnings per share is $3.45. I mean, that would give you a target sell price of $55.89. That sounds very enticing. The problem I have here is there's two analysts. One analyst says they'll make $6.67. The other analyst says they'll make 22 cents. So there's a huge (laughs) disparity there. And the other problem is this year they're estimated to make $4.96 with the same two analysts. This guy thinks they're going to make $10.75 this year. I mean, it's just all over the place here. And this, this stock, I mean, if they do have other drugs in the pipeline, as you said, maybe one of them hits. But I think a little bit of the excitement's been pulled forward by COVID. And if their pipeline does falter, I mean, this the stock will go away. If it hits, it, it, this is more of a, a gamble. And to already be at $2 billion in market cap, I, I'm a little bit concerned at these levels. Could go higher just because it, it's a biotech, and a lot of small biotechs do have that high-risk, high-reward yeah. type mentality, and I don't like to invest in them. Yeah, we don't like to take that kind of risk or bread, but uh, I know you made some money on the past. Uh, the problem is if you invested it now and it goes from six down to three, uh, you, you've lost a lot of your profits, and we just don't see the potential for this company, especially with only two analysts. We like at least, what, five, six, seven analysts. So it's a very, very risky, uh, and the thing is, emotionally, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're excited to make the you know, money you did before, and that sometimes can pull you back in, kind of like gambling. It pulls you back in like, oh, shoot, why'd I do that? Because you have a good feeling about the company making money. We just don't see the potential here for that to happen. It's it, it just too, too risky uh, for us to, to happen. All right, Brett? Oh, I think we lost him. Did we lose Brett? All right. Well, and uh, other question he had there too, since we got some time, we've got two hours today, so <laughs> <laughs> we talk about it. Is uh, you know, kind of wondering about has the stock market gone too far? We're gonna have a pullback next year. Um, the short answer, I think, is yes. We're likely to have a pullback yeah. at some yeah. point between now and the end of next year. I mean, yeah. it just it always happens. I think going back since the last what uh, forty years. The average this year drop is about 14%. So you see, again, a correction quite often when you invest. Yeah. And, and the correction's 10%. And, and we could have that pullback tomorrow. could be next month. You don't know when it's going to be. And this is why it's so important to look at what you pay for something. Because if you're just trying to guess, and, and again, we did you know talk to people a month ago uh, before the election, like, oh, the market's going to crash, going to crash. And they, would, they went to cash, and they missed a huge run-up. So never make a decision just based on your, your feelings or your emotions. But when we do look at things, and what we look at is that right now, when new money comes over, 
uh, we're only investing about 18 to 20% of it because we can't find things to buy. So that does kind of tell us that, yeah, things are kind of pricey. It doesn't mean things will go down tomorrow, but it means put the caution lights on. Be patient and, and, and wait for some good prices because the market does not go up every single day of the year. It's, it's going to have pullbacks <laughs> and things are going to come along, and who knows what it could be. Wouldn't that be great? Our job <laughs> would be too, so easy. Well, we wouldn't we would have a job because why do people we need, need us? one? Right? I would leverage the house. I would take on credit card debt. It'd be yeah. simple. Yeah, you wouldn't you wouldn't need to do any research because in fact, like, yeah, just buy a stock and always goes up. No, no worry. <laughs> so all righty. Phone number is 866-577-2473. That's 2473. Now, as you may or may not know, but I've been in the investment world for 40 years and people have always said, gosh, Brittany, I really like how you manage money and so forth. But one thing I added years ago was a financial planning division because uh, people say you're doing a great job managing my money and growing my money, but I don't know how to plan. I don't know how to retire. I don't know about social security and all these other things. So we added a financial planning uh, division uh, years ago and running that is uh, Harrison Johnson, a CFP. And Harrison's going to join us on the show from now on because we do want to try to help people understand more about financial planning. Harrison, good morning. How you doing? Good morning, guys. How you doing? We're doing great, doing great. Uh, so what we want you to do today, because you're going to be doing a regular segment here with us on financial planning tips to help people out, uh, is kind of explain to our listeners some of the things you'll be talking about in the weeks to come. Sure. So when I work with people, um, Again, it's all about understanding your entire financial situation today and then how we can improve that over time by making the right decisions. And so some of the areas that I look at and some of the areas that I'll be talking about in the future is looking at your mortgage. I mean, this is a, a popular one right now because interest rates are so low. So um, that's something that we've been looking at. Now, um, I don't sell mortgage. I, says I don't sell anything, but I have the ability to look at anything and then help people make the right decision. So um, mortgages is a big one. Taxes are always a big one. So what does your tax situation look like today? What does it look like in the future? Are there any things that we need to be doing today um, to reduce your future tax liability. Um, insurance is another one. Um, again, I don't sell it, but if we look at the life insurance that you need, maybe the auto insurance that you need, any type of insurance that you have, we can take a look at that and see, <clears throat> are you paying too much for it? Is there anything that we can do to reduce those premiums? And again, since I don't sell anything, I, I, I don't like to focus on, well, how much insurance do you need? It's more of hey, I, I think you're a little bit overprotected. Uh, we actually can reduce the cost that you're paying there. Uh, so these are some of the things uh, that, that we're looking at. But um, again, maybe they're, if you're charitable-minded, what's the best way to give to charity? A lot of people don't understand the ways that you can go about doing that in an efficient manner that helps your taxes. So there's all kinds of things that we can look at um, that help people over time. And, and Harrison, also important to point out that <clears throat> you, you say you don't sell anything because at Will CS Asset Management, you are on a salary. So people do not, you know, buy products from you. You don't sell them insurance. You don't sell them mutual funds. Financial, you, you know, you're just doing the financial planning, and actually they can do just the financial planning with you uh, if that's all that they need. So it is unique, and I came up with this because I just saw too many people in the industry, quote, unquote, calling themselves financial planners but selling people, uh, you know, light, big life insurance policies and annuities and these high-commission products. Uh, you're on a salary and your fee base, so they pay a fee for your financial planning. That's right. And the benefit of that is I have the capacity to help people the way they need to be helped. So it's not like somebody comes and say, okay, well, I have this issue and I have to turn around and say, okay, that's great. Buy this product or buy this insurance or whatever it is. We can say, okay, well, let's address the fundamental part of that issue and actually handle it. 
And I was just going to say, I mean, we're looking forward to obviously having the, the segment here weekly with you. And, uh, you know, the important part about financial planning that, that you know, I've kind of seen working with you over the past few years is it's so important to talk to you before you make a lot of decisions because a lot of times people make decisions and then they come talk to you and there's nothing you can do and it costs them, I'll say sometimes thousands and thousands of dollars. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, you you have actually saved clients a lot of money. Like, oh, I'm glad I didn't do that because I talked to you first. (laughs) Uh, All the time. All the time that happens. And so whenever we can catch things soon enough, uh, I mean, and it could be anything as opposed to someone saying, well, I need some money. What's the best place to get it? Should I take it from, you know, this account or this account? Or if I wait a couple months, that'll be in a different tax year. Or if we structure things differently, we'll we'll save this amount of money. So a lot of times it's, it's things that people don't think about. And then because they don't think about it, it becomes a problem um, that they can't handle. Um, Medicare premiums is another example. So there's all kinds of things where if you don't understand exactly how it all fits together, um, you can make mistakes without knowing it. Yeah. Well, Harrison, looking forward to uh, future weeks with uh, great tips to help our listeners on different things they should be doing on financial planning and what they should be looking at. So thank you for joining the show and uh, enjoy the rest of your Saturday. Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Sounds good. Bye-bye. All right, again, that is uh, Harrison Johnson. He does work for Wilsey Asset Management. If you've needed financial planning and you're saying, gosh, you know, I just want to sit down with somebody and kind of have like a financial coach, as I call him many times, because I don't know where we're going. Got all these things out here. I have no idea what I'm doing. You can call the office at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. You'll hear the prompt for Harrison Johnson. He's our CFP. Uh, you can talk to him directly to see if financial planning is something that could help you out there. Absolutely. All right. Phone number's here, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go. Oh, gosh, I had it pulled up and everything. We had a gentleman. Oh, no, there it is. Robert in Poway uh, for Disney. Uh, Robert, uh, you're on the Smart Invest with Brent Chase. How can we help you out? Good morning, gentlemen. Appreciate your show. Thank you uh, for uh, helping everybody out. Well, thanks, have, for, uh, thanks for being uh, there. Disney stock, and uh, wondering if I should take some off the table right now. Okay, so you, you own Disney, obviously. Um, how long have you, yeah. have you held it there? Uh, more than five years. Okay, and I know they just announced yesterday, and the stock popped that they're gonna was it start charging for Disney Plus? I think well, charging more for Disney Plus, and also they they they're just blowing people away with the amount of subscribers they're getting for it. Yeah. And I mean, the demand's been huge, and I, I don't like to trade off of things like no. that, but, you know, obviously hindsight's twenty twenty. but, I mean, I just kind of was wondering, they were going to have huge subscriber growth. There's no doubt, no about, doubt about it. That, so, yeah. I mean, I, we'll kind of look at the numbers here. I, I'm surprised they're at these levels, but also not surprised. So, we'll, we'll have a further discussion after yeah, looking yeah. at the numbers we'll, here. We'll look at the numbers here a little bit for you there, Robert. Uh, coming again is Walt Disney Company. Uh, symbol is D-I-S. I'm surprised here. Well, I guess not surprised. The theme parks are closed. Uh, no P-E ratio versus 80 for the industry. Price of sales are expensive. 4.9 versus 2.4. Uh, no price of tangible book value. Same as the industry. And Disney does have a lot of intangible assets. And we do see price of cash flow. It's expensive as well. 108 versus 12.4. And, and I, I know they used to pay a dividend. They did suspend their dividend as well. So I was, I was unaware of that. So they no longer pay a dividend. I'm sure that will come back probably next year. 
Looking at the sales growth year over year, down 6%. The industry is down 1.8. Uh, earnings per share fell by 124. That's a bigger decline than the industry a decline of 80. Look at the balance sheet. It looks pretty good. Current ratio 1.3, same as the industry. Uh, debt to equity is 70.5 for Disney versus 110 for the industry. Do keep in mind they do have a lot of intangible assets, but they're really, I think, in my opinion, very strong intangible assets. Return on equity is a negative 3.2 versus a positive 3.3. Their net profit margin is a negative 3.7 versus a positive 3. And then receivable turnover is 4.6 versus 6.4. Inventory turnover, 27 versus 16.5. Chase, what do you got for the earnings going forward? Yeah, so looking at the current price here for Disney is $175.72. I mean, right near the 52-week high of $179.45. I know it just, again, it exploded off the, the big news there on the Disney+. Plus. Uh, 52-week low here, though, $79.07. Now, the problem I have here, Robert, is I go to September 2022. The estimated earnings per share, and this is on a non-GAAP basis as well, so not even backing anything out, $4.70 would give you a target sell price of $76.14. I even go out to September 2025. I mean, there's there's a few analysts there. There's four analysts, so eh, still a decent amount of people looking at even the highest guy to see what his estimation is. It's $10.24. That would put us at the target sell price using 16.2 of $165.89. This has gone the way of Netflix. And I'm just worried about a company like this trading at these levels. It, it just is not sustainable. There's all this excitement again around Disney Plus, and maybe it takes a little bit higher, but I, I think it would be wise to to take some profits here for sure. And, and the other thing too with Disney is that uh, the theme parks are, are closed in California. I know they're open in Florida, but I think that's been a big drag on them. Uh, I'm also concerned too on the movies. They used to make a lot of money off movies, and I keep hearing more movies like, oh, we're going to skip the movie theaters and just release you know into the homes that's not going to be profitable i i don't see so what worries me is that the profits going forward where are they going to come from yeah and i, I mean that that is a great point because they have you know we saw it with mulan was kind of the first big deal and that they did yeah. upcharge it a little bit more on top of the streaming service so there is maybe something they can do but it's, it's not going to be the same type of blockbuster hits that they were getting before so I am a little bit concerned on that front, and I, I don't want the movie industry to die either. If you get rid of all the, the, the movie theater options, I, I like going to the movies still. Oh, yeah, I, I do. Well, not still since they're closed, but you know, <laughs> well, I, I like the idea of going to the movie theaters and want to go back to them. So I, I, I do hope that this direct-to-consumer uh, doesn't completely become the, the new way that these companies are doing it. Because number one, it's not as profitable. Number two, I, I like the movie theaters as a consumer. Yeah, so so Robert, I mean, we we do see some headwinds here, and I think the the theme parks will open probably fully in twenty twenty one. But it's just for what you're paying for this company. It's a great company. They've done some great things. It just appears to be very very pricey. <clears throat> That's sort of what I was thinking. All right, gentlemen. Again, I appreciate everything you do. Go Titans. Go Titans. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for calling, Robert. Have a great day. You Bye. too, guys. All right, that does open the phone line eight six six. Five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. Let's go out to Normal Heights and speak with Mike. Mike, you're in the Smart Investor, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Good morning. <clears throat> good morning. How you doing? I'm doing good. 
I uh, came across a a software as a service data mining company, recent IPO called Palantir. P, the symbol is P L T R. Uh, I saw an interview with the CEO, and I was uh, kind of intrigued about the the company, and thought, and then like to know what you thought of it. Okay. Uh, you know, and this is sometimes when you find these companies because they, they have some interest to you, and that's what you kind of look at. You say, well, that sounds pretty interesting. Let me take a look at the business to see if the business does make any sense. And I, and I thought this name looked familiar to me. Have, have you ever heard this name before, Chase? Uh, just because it, it did IPO recently, so that's okay. the only reason I know it. Oh, that's why. Okay. Uh, and unfortunately, now I show uh, it's not coming up on Reuters. Are you getting it on Reuters? Mine shows an internal error. Um, mine said it doesn't cover this company. Yeah. Uh, how, how long has it been public? Uh, I not think that just long, kind of, just a few months. Yeah. I'm actually getting data on it. So. You're getting data? Well, if you got some data, I got nothing, so share okay. what you got. Yeah, I'll give some data here. And uh, unfortunately, there's not a whole lot of data. I think because it is so new, uh, because if I'm looking here, I mean, there's no PE, no price to sales. <clears throat> price to book value is 37.85. So, I mean, that's pretty high. Not seeing any sales growth, earnings growth. I think there's just a lot of unknowns right now since I don't know if they went public maybe this last quarter. Uh, it's pretty recent, Maybe they don't yeah. have a whole lot, but I can't see their balance sheet. I, I will say one positive here for the company. <laughs> Good current ratio, 2.54. Not much debt as the total debt to equity is 15.8. And I was able to find some numbers as well in the earnings estimates. Surprised on this, there, there are actually six analysts on it for next year going out to 2021. Average estimate, though, is just $0.12 cents for the company, and $0.12 cents would give us a target sell price of $1.94. I mean, the company is currently at $27.14. 52-week range, been $8.90 to $33.50. I mean, this is, uh, again, part of the, the momentum trading, the, the growth ideas. And I mean, the market cap already for this business is about $51 billion. This is a huge company in terms of the market cap. I, I don't know if that's really worth it. And, and we'll see what it does. I, I'm not super familiar with what they do here. Uh, I have heard the name and, and just kind of the financial news and so forth, but yep. I, I don't typically like to buy companies like this. They're quite risky. Yeah, this is kind of like a hype company. It's got like a lot of stuff behind it, and, and maybe the stock rises another 20 40 50%. I mean, who knows? But the thing is, you can't really put your arms around it and say it's got some great earnings, it's got this going on and so forth. Uh, we just don't like to touch these because the momentum can go away tomorrow, and all of a sudden you say, why did I buy this business? So it's not one that we like. Uh, very risky. I'd, I'd recommend uh, stay away from it there. All right, Mike? Sure. Well, I'm, I'm not really going to invest in it at this time, but but I am intrigued by it. They do data mining, and their uh, most of their income apparently comes from the government, CIA and the FBI. Oh, wow. And, and they, did a, uh, uh, the, they have the LAPD, uh, and, and they're controversial because, uh, of course, the Silicon Valley uh, is not great with companies that sidle up to the government. So <laughs> that's a nice way to put it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and again, this is one that can can blow up and do great. But uh, I have to have a reason for me to invest in something, and I just don't see it here. I'm not going to buy it just because everybody's excited about it. All right, Mike. You bet. I don't see it now either, but I'm going to look. Keep looking at it. Yep, I'll, I'll stay in the sidelines and cheer for people for to go up, but we'll find something else to buy. Thank you for calling. Bye-bye. You bet. 
All right, that opens up the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. I was going to say, I mean, we have been getting a lot of questions on Facebook as well, and we do have to take oh, yeah. a break at the top of the hour. So, you know, if you're still on the phone line, don't leave us. We'll be back with you. But I thought maybe we could take one question before we, we do take a little break here. Sure, what, what do we got on Facebook? Uh, so Robert does want to know, do you do you guys think that the market has moved more towards hype investing and away from fundamental investing? I get trying to catch the next big thing, but a lot of these prices are astronomical. Well, I, I definitely agree with Robert. I mean, the market is very frothy right now, um, especially in certain areas, technology and so forth. And I've been doing this for 40 years. I've seen it happen before. The, the problem is you never know when the, the party is going to end. But you don't want to be the last guy at the party wearing the lampshade on your head because you lose a lot of money doing that. So uh, that's why we still stick to using the fundamentals, looking at businesses. And I said earlier in the show, uh, it's harder and harder to find companies to invest in for new money coming in. Uh, we'll be patient. Uh, I, I, I believe that next year the froth is going to end. Uh, that's my feeling. Yeah, and I mean, we, we've talked about it so many times where, you know, back in the late 90s, I mean, it was the same thing. It, it was, oh, value investing is dead. It's mm -hmm. never going to come back. And sure enough, 2000, 2001, 2002, I mean, growth investing just fell off a cliff. And, and you know, these people that held the high growth names, they, they did very, very well. Right. But the problem is I hear select few people that actually I'm going to say timed it, got out at the right time, because the problem is when it, things get higher and higher and higher, you don't know why you're holding it. You're just right. holding it because it's done well. You don't sell out, and then all of a sudden, stocks can fall. I mean, you saw the Microsofts, Intels, and Cisco's fall 60, 70, 80% in a matter of a couple of years. So, I mean, it is very, very dangerous, and that's why we don't like to do the growth investing, and the fundamentals do matter, but I can't tell you when they're going to matter. Right. And and there is actually in finance books, I think called the greater fool theory that you buy a stock at a high price and you just hope and pray there is some greater fool out there than you that buys it because that's what keeps the stock going up. But eventually somebody wakes up one day and saying, wait a minute, why are we spending a hundred times earnings for this business? And the bomb just falls out. And then people say, where'd the money go? It's like the money doesn't go anywhere. It's just that there's nobody out there. The, 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 the greater fools, I guess, is left. And nobody will pay that high price for it. They say, I'm not going to pay 100 times earnings for this company. I'll pay like 15 times earnings. So that's what happens to it. So you got to be very careful. And it's very exciting. But history has proven time and time and time again, eventually the momentum does change. Yeah, because we did get another question just on that same topic. Sure. But he wanted us to look at a company called SE, which we, we should have time in the second half. But uh, just kind of said, I like your show, but you aren't a growth investor. You have missed Tesla, Netflix, and probably Amazon. Yes, we did miss Amazon. Mm -hmm. And that's the important thing. You're not always going to be right. you got to be very careful. And yep. we'll kind of continue to talk about that in the next hour. Yep. All right. So we're going to take a, a quick break here. When we come back, we do so. We have David Escondido, Fred in Long Beach, Katie in El Cajon, and Brian in San Diego. Stay with us. Uh, we will get to you. We're going to take a break here. When we come back, your calls are up. 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Stay tuned for the second hour of the Smart Investing Show. We'll be back. All righty. Welcome back to the second half of the Smart Investing Show. I'd say we have lines open, but it looks like they're all booked. So uh, we do have a couple of different uh, things coming up, and uh, we do have a real estate section coming up as well that we add to the show. Uh, let's uh, take a call now. 
uh, and then we'll do the real estate section as uh, time goes on here. So uh, let's continue on here. I think the next caller up was uh, Fred in Long Beach. Fred, you're in the Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can we help you out? Uh, I'd like some information on AAWW, Alpha Alpha Whiskey Whiskey, please. Okay, and you hold that, Fred, looking to buy it? Uh, yeah, I hold it and I play some options. Okay. Uh, company again we're looking at is Atlas Air Worldwide Holdings Incorporated. Their symbol, I like the symbol, AAWW, it's pretty easy to remember. Unfortunately, what I don't like is I don't see a PE ratio, which means over the last 12 months they have no earnings. Again, we are during uh, the pandemic, so that probably did hurt them a little bit. Looking at price to sales, looks good. 0.5 versus 0.55, that's positive. Price to tangible book value, I like this. 0.78 versus not material for the industry. And what that tells me is you're paying 78 cents on the dollar for the tangible assets. So that's a, that's a good deal right there. Uh, however, price to cash flow is 18.4 versus 4.1, so that should be a little bit lower. Uh, they do not pay a dividend. We do see that sales year over year are up 9.7% when the industry was down 22%. So that's a big positive. Unfortunately, these earnings did not follow suit. Year over year for the last 12 months, earnings fell by 187. So you want to understand why did the earnings fall by so much when sales were up? Probably again, something to do with the pandemic, but we will see if you actually look at those numbers a little bit closer. But the whole industry, their earnings fell by 466%. Now, look at the balance sheet. you got a current ratio of 1 versus 0.45, so that is positive. We do see debt to equity is 117. That's not too bad, especially compared to the industry at 194. We do see return equity is a negative 11.1, but the industry is a negative 58, so that's a positive during this difficult time frame. And we do see net profit margins is a negative 7.7, not as bad as the industry at negative 13. And receivable return was 11.4 versus 9.2. Chase, what do you got for the earnings? Yeah, so I, I did obviously kind of figure this company was in the air travel space, but I, I wanted to kind of see what they did. And it's an interesting company. I mean, they, they do offer outsourced cargo and passenger aircraft operating solutions, which includes contractual service agreements, such as the provision of aircraft and value-added services, including crew, maintenance, and insurance to aircraft and their customers. This is also interesting as well. It provides cargo and passenger aircraft charter services to the U.S. military, charter brokers, freight forwarders, direct shippers, airlines, sport teams, and fans as well. So it, it's they're not really doing the normal airline type stuff. They're, they're kind of more of almost a private type plane business, which I think is quite interesting. But looking at the current price here is $55.23. 52-week high is $69.08. And 52-week low, well, that's $14.97. And I think this is done better than the airline stocks because people don't really want to get on planes right now. So I think they're doing more of the private route. Yep. So I think that's why they're doing okay. And if I go out to December 2021, I do see estimated earnings per share of $8.64. will give us a target sell price of $139.97. But I will point out the estimation for this year is $12.16, so a fall off. I mean, there's a lot here to kind of look at. Uh, the target sell price looks good, but a lot of questions still. And I don't like earnings when they decline the yeah. following year because you want to buy a company that's actually growing their earnings. Now, again, I think you said they do private aircraft, which probably was big this year. 
Um, but still, what was the target sell price versus the price now, Chase? One thirty nine ninety six versus fifty five twenty three. So yeah. it looks enticing. But. Yeah, it looks enticing. Yeah, you, you just want to be careful here, Fred, because you, you know if the company their their earnings start going down, their sales start going down next year, even if though they're good earnings, the stock could falter as well. So that's what kind of worries me. So, all right. Thanks a lot, guys. Okay, Fred. Thank you for calling. Right. Bye bye. All right, uh, that opens the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Let's go up to Escondido and speak with David. He wants to talk about interest rates. David, you're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning. Good morning. Uh, interest rates are at record lows right now for purchasing homes, and I'm wondering, has the Fed made any indication if they're going to remain low for a while, what with Biden becoming the new president, I'm wondering if you've heard anything um, about uh, any changes. Well, I know that Chase's memory is a little bit better than mine, but I do remember uh, months ago that the Fed said that they do expect to keep rates low uh, for the, 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 the future. Um, but they will have to change because I do believe that with all that's going on, we're going to start seeing an inflation in 2021. Um, I do believe we'll see interest rates rise. I mean, right now, I've not looked at the 10-year Treasury recently. I think it's around 0.9. Have you looked at it recently, Chase? I do believe it's still under 1. I still under 1, yeah. So, and, and it's not going to go to 3 or 4, but it could go to, my belief is, maybe 1.5, maybe on the high side, 1.75. So we will start seeing interest rates rise, and that could cause some problems uh, in the bond market. Um, I, I, I think it could start slowing down the housing market a little bit. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, so well, the current rate on the, the 10-year note is still the 0.893, so it's still very, very uh, Say that again. 0.893%, okay. so very low on that. Uh, to kind of talk to your point on the Fed, is the Fed did come out and say, yeah, they're going to keep interest rates lower for longer, essentially. And the big thing that they did was they changed their target for inflation. Before, yeah. it was kind of once it hits 2%, they're going to look at raising but they changed the verbiage in it to now look at almost an average inflation type period. So that means they can let it run a little hotter compared to the past. So you could see inflation, let's say, spike at the beginning of the first quarter next year, and the Fed will let that run because there's going to be, I think, a surge. And there's going to be such a huge difference in the numbers because yeah. we shut down the economy. So you're going to see huge spikes in the growth rates right. for a lot of things. So the Fed is going to be a little bit slower on that. But the, the key distinguishing you have to make here is the Fed can keep their target level at 0%, but the 10-year note could still climb from, let's say, 0.9% up to 1.5%. There's two different things. The Fed mm. can kind of control the market a little bit and aid it, but it can't necessarily set the 10-year note, set the right. mortgage rate. So I wouldn't be surprised to see interest rates just climb without the Fed raising their target rate. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is that they, they do talk about the average, but they're also going to be looking at that. If they see that the economy is really starting to heat up and things are really picking up and you know too much money chasing too few goods, which causes inflation, uh, they may say, okay, we we got to be a little bit smarter here. And also, too, we can't forget about the, the global economy. If we see global rates rising, that could also mean we have to raise rates as well. So um, I, I have said for for a while now that I do believe that rates will start rising. I think it's going to happen in 2021. So if you have any interest rate sensitive type of product you're invested in, you'll probably get hurt. And I, I don't believe it's going to hurt the housing market yet. But what do you think? Jason? Yeah, well, I, my well, prediction is that the Fed won't raise until right. 2022. 
but I, I do think that I would not be surprised to see the 10-year note at 1.5%. I think yeah. the, the mortgage rate will climb a little bit. And I think it's going to be a little bit of uh, people saying, oh, my gosh, the, the mortgage rate's now at 3.5%. Oh, my gosh, I don't know if I want to buy a house. <laughs> yeah. But it could also send people saying, oh, my gosh, I want to buy a house before it goes up to 4.5%. So right. there, there are some benefits there to the real estate market, but I, I don't believe that we'll see the 10-year note under 1% next year. And, and Dave, do you ask because you're buying a house or selling a house? I'm actually selling my house. I'm going to try and sell it in January and then repurchase another home. But I'm trying to beat the interest rates going up. And I was trying to get an idea of how safe I am at this time. I, I say you're pretty safe. I mean, you, yeah. you got a short-term time horizon. you got to listen to our next guest coming on because he's really going to help you save a lot of money. So, so make sure you, you stay good. tuned to the show. All right, David? Very good. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank, all right. Thank you for calling. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And as always, get you through that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. But I just mentioned to David that our, our next uh, guest, and again, we're going to have this part of the show as well, so we now have two hours, save money selling real estate. And for that, we have our, our new guest, David Suter from uh, Suter Realty. David, you with us? Yes. How you doing, Brent? Great, great. I don't know if you heard the last call or not, but he's looking at selling his home, and I told him to stay tuned because I used you to sell my house, and you did a great job. And many realtors, oh, yeah, they do a great job. But you, when I saw your advertisement, you said you only will charge me 1%. I thought, wait a minute, this sounds too good to be true, but it wasn't. You did a great job, and I could not believe the thousands and thousands of dollars I saved on commission with you. Indeed. Um, we, uh, I'm an independent broker, and so I'm able to do the full service that all the other guys can do, but I don't have that high overhead and staff and don't have to split my commission with another, another broker. So we, our listing fee is 1%, and it includes the whole bowl of wax, if not more that you would get for paying 6%. And, and Dave, I kind of look at you as a, as a Costco, because people go to Costco because they kind of skip, they're going directly to the wholesaler. Well, that's what your situation is, because you're the broker. We're, we're cutting out the middleman with you, and that's why you can do the 1% commission. That's right, Brent. Um, basically, um, we sell more houses, too. The Costco idea um, <laughs> is we also can make up for this lower commission because we sell anywhere typically from 25 to 30 houses a year. And, you know, most realtors might sell three or four. Some of the busy guys sell a dozen. So this, this extra volume helps us to keep our, our costs very low. And also too, I mean, the reason why I used you as well was I was saying the house really pretty much sells itself. Now you don't take a lot of marketing. I mean, you put the, the sign out in front and it seems like somebody buys the house. So why would somebody pay a 2 or 3% commission when you're going to do it for a 1% commission? Well, I agree. And the thing of it is, is a lot of realtors will try to convince people to list with them because they're going to do all kinds of things. And, it, you know, it's worth paying 2 or 3% to list. But the fact is 94% of all sales in San Diego have a buyer's agent. And the buyer's agent, you know, once your house is advertised on the MLS and out on the Internet on, uh, you know, almost 100 websites, the buyers are going to find the property and they're going to have their agents bring them. And the listing agent really doesn't bring the buyer. And that's the but that's a myth that 
realtors like to propagate because it lets them justify charging you 3% to list instead of 1%. And Dave, the other thing, and I did not buy another house, I decided to rent uh, for a while, but you also had something that just blew my socks off when I, you said, well, wait, if you buy another house, you can also help me on buying the new house. Uh, can you explain how, how that works as well? Well, we, we actually um, give back some of our commission, which we're entitled to do, to people that buy with us. So um, we don't keep all the commission that we get from the seller of that house. So we just, um, in fact, we just sold a house in Carmel Valley um, and helped the people buy a new one in Alpine, and we cut them a check after they bought their new house. So we charged them less selling, and we gave them money back on their buy. And, and David, I really recommend that people use you. Again, you get my personal endorsement because I use you. Great experience. Save me tons of money. And people will not realize. I mean, again, we're talking not, you know, $500, $600. We're talking $10,000, $15,000, $20,000. I mean, I saved more than that on my house, and I didn't buy another. It, it's just fantastic. Why don't you tell people how to get a hold of you so they can talk to you directly uh, on how to save money when they sell or buy another home? Sure. It's, it's huge when you think about it. It's like buying the agent a, a new car. And I don't know why people don't see that because it, I guess it's sort of play money in their minds. You know, they have all this equity in their house and they're willing to give it away. But yeah, um, there's the easiest way is that you can go to my website, soldfor1.com. That's all spelled out, S-O-L-D-F-O-R-O-N-E, soldfor1.com or call my office, 858-564-8531. And what's that phone number one on time, David? It is 858-564-8531. Great. Well, again, I, I use it myself. I recommend it because, again, the money that people save with you, they could take that money, put it in their 401K, put it in their IRA, get another tax deduction. They can multiply that money by using Dave as a realtor. Well, I mean, I think it is so big. I mean, as you kind of said there, Dave, I mean, we live in San Diego, Real estate prices are a little expensive here. I mean, you're talking it's pretty normal to have a million-dollar house. Well, take 1% of a million dollars. That's $10,000. I mean, it's, it's a huge amount. And I, there's just such, a, I think, a misconception where people, oh, the buyer doesn't pay for the uh, you know, the, yeah. the commission cost. But I, I think what you do is great. And you know, look forward to having you on the show as a regular segment here. Great. Look forward to it. Thanks, guys. Okay, David. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. All right. Again, that's David Suter from Suter Realty. And again, if you didn't write down his number, but you have our number, uh, you can give me a call at the office as well. I'll get you in touch with him because it is something that will save you tons of money. And when I look at it again, if you save that money, you can invest that money and do even better. Here's, here's the thing that is just going to blow your socks off even more. What if you take that $10,000 you save from Dave Suter right. here, put it in your 401k, get a tax deduction, you're saving even more money because you're saving the money on the taxes. Wow. It just and what gross. will that $10,000 be worth <laughs> at an 8% compounded rate over the next 10, 15, 20 years? I mean, it's just, it's a smart thing to do. So uh, if, if you didn't get his phone number, it's like, gosh, I'm going to sell my house. I need to talk to Dave. You can call my office. I'll, I'll get you his number. It's 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. I'll get you David's number. I did not write it down here, but hopefully you wrote it down. He's going to save people tons of money. So I really like Dave a lot. All right. Our phone number is here, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. Gosh, I kind of forgot who was next. I think it's Brian in San Diego was next. So I can't see the screen. You can't <laughs> see the screen. Yeah, so it's all on me. Okay, so let's go to uh, Brian in San Diego. Brian, you're in the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you here? 
Hi, how you doing? Good, how you doing? Good, good, good. I want to ask you about a stock that I hold. Okay. Uh, GE, General Electric. All righty. Now, that, that's a well-known name. How, how long have you held that there, Brian? I think I have some long-term and I have some short-term. Okay. All right. About 3,000 stocks. What's, what's that? I have about 3,000. 3,000 shares you have? Correct. Okay. All right. Well, let's take a look at a General Electric company. Their symbol is GE. We do have a good start here because they have a P.E. ratio of 27.8. I say that's good because the industry P.E. is 67. Price to sales, 1.2 versus 1.8. Unfortunately, no price to tangible book value, but that is the norm for the industry. And we see price to cash flow does check in at 10.2 versus 49. So that's a big positive there. You do get a dividend. It's, it's very small with GE. It's a 0.4%. They use 27% of the earnings to pay that out. Uh, we do see year over year their sales fell by 12% when the industry is down 3.6. However, earnings per share climbed by 3,581% for GE. Industry was down 68. So it looks like GE could be turning the corner here. Now, they're a conglomerate. Uh, they've changed a lot of things on here. So I do not see a current ratio. Uh, the industry is at 1.46. Debt to equity is pretty high at 200 and 40 versus one point uh, uh versus 132. uh we do see return equity for general electric is 11.5 versus 8.3 and then looking at the net profit margin ge checks in very good uh 4.7 that's about double the industry of at uh, 2.6 and then receivable turnover is 5 versus 4.6 and inventory turnover is 4.3 versus 2.4 chase what do you got for the earnings over there yeah, so current price here for GE, $11.16, 52-week highs, $13.26, and 52-week low, $5.48. So it more than doubled off the low there. And it, I was going to say it is interesting. A, a couple of years ago when GE was having all its problems, it seemed like it was in the news every day. I feel like I haven't seen much of them in the news. Like, I could just be maybe missing the news. I don't know, but it seems like they're not as prevalent. And, and maybe it is uh, kudos to Larry Culp, the CEO. Maybe he's turning things around, he, getting things in the right great, direction. He's got a great name, so we'll see what happens there. Yeah, and, and, and while I like what he's doing with the company, I'm not too excited about these earnings going forward, unfortunately, Brian. I look at 2021 estimated earnings of $0.36. Cents, gives us a target sell price of just $5.83. And even if I go out to 2022, since we're coming up on that here shortly, it's just 54 cents, which would give us a target sell price at $8.75. So, I mean, Colt could turn things around and, and get these earnings on the right track, but I, I think he's still got a lot of work left to do to, to get back to the name GE once was. And I do remember, I think it was, I'm going to say five, six months ago, a hedge uh, fund, I believe it was, came out that did some deep accounting. And they said they found some terrible things on the accounting there. Uh, do you remember that, Chase? I do, but the the uh, drama with it was he uh, worked for a company that was shorting it. So there was kind of some question in, in regard to that. So I, I do know, I think that was last year that that actually came no, about. So yeah. I'm wondering if they got over the hump. And I know the, I think the SEC was auditing them. I, I don't know if that's done. Yeah. So, I mean, there was definitely some questions with their accounting, but I, I think that's what Culp's trying to fix and... We'll see if he can kind of complete the job. But at this time, it, it, it looks pretty richly valued. Yeah, yeah. It looks pretty pretty richly valued. And also, too, you do have those other things out there. And, and I've, I've made so much money over GE over the years by buying and selling. I think I did like three times. I, I <laughs> Not in a short term, though. You no, can hold it for yeah. a couple of years at a time. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm actually talking about a 20-year period. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't buy and sell. We're not traders. Um, 
but I, I want to buy it back because I, I do like the company. I like the concept that they've been around for a long time, but I refuse to do it because the fundamentals just don't justify it. I'd rather miss it, have it go up, than get into it because my emotions are all excited about it, and then we buy it, and it goes from 11 down to 6 or 7. So I, uh, I, I like the company, but I would not say to hold it or buy it at this time until you get some good, clear signals going forward. All right there, Brian? Thank you. I appreciate your help, guys. All right. Thank you for calling. Bye-bye. All righty. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And Chase, it's so hard because, again, I and, and this is where, you know, the, the slogan of our firm is no emotions, just results. Because emotionally, I do want to jump in and buy GE. I've made money off of GE. I've known it since I've been a, like a little boy. My grandmother hold it and so forth. But I refuse to do it because the fundamentals are just not there. And you've got to override your emotions. You cannot let it be emotional when it comes to investing. Oh, it's so hard at times. I mean, I, I remember when I you know, first started investing. This is when I was in high school. Uh, so years ago. Uh, I wanted to buy Nike because that, that's what I liked. We were in Adidas school at Poway, so uh, hopefully our, my old AD, uh, Coach Conto, doesn't get mad at me talking about how much I like Nike here. But, um, you know, I wanted to buy it, and I did buy it, but then it hit its target sell price, and I was like, I don't want to sell it because I like Nike. And, you know, you just have to override it. And I, I will say on the other side of it, too, I, I won't forget this. And I'm not going to say the company. I'm not going to say the reason, but we let our, our politics get in the way of buying a company several years ago. Yeah. And we would have made huge money off of it. The fundamentals look great. The outlook was great. But we, we kind of let our emotions get in the way. And that's one thing about this job. You're always learning yeah. about the mistakes you make and how you can change them. And, you know, you can't let politics and emotions get in your view of investing. It can really hurt your returns. And, and, and politics is something that, I don't know, you kind of have to kind of look at. Because I, I think I know what you're talking about. We're not going to share on air here what yeah. we're talking about. But still, if you have beliefs in something, and, and I'll use, uh, what's it called? Like, uh, say, say a company's polluting, you know? Yeah. Uh, you're not going to buy that company, even if the fundamentals are great. Well, it's the same thing. We did not like politically what that company was doing. We didn't buy it. Had we bought it, we would have made money off it. But it's just like, sometimes it's not just the emotions, but you have to have uh, your, your standards that you, you, you work with and say, no, I'm not going to buy that. I mean, don't get me wrong. Don't go buy a business where the fundamentals look great. And the CEO is just a, a crook and a, a thief. <laughs> and it's like, well, the fundamentals are good. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. Or the company's just, you know, killing baby seals everywhere. You don't want that either. Yeah. You know? Uh, what they call it? Uh, social investing, yeah. I guess is what it's called and so forth. I it, think some people go too far with it and they yeah. miss a lot of great opportunities, but there is still some cause to, you know, yeah. And, and I do think, we talk about it later, but I, right. I do think we were a little bit too harsh on the company for our decision there. Yeah, and it could have been. And, and again, we're, we're not perfect in it. And I actually tell people when they come in for a consultation and so forth, yeah, we're, we're wrong a third of the time. I mean, we're, we're not going to be right 100% of the time. If you find somebody that's right 100% of the time, they're lying because no <laughs> one is right investing all the time. So, all righty, let's go back to the phones here. Let's go out to uh, El Cajon and speak with Katie. Katie, you're in the Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hi there. I am. I was wondering about Carnival. I think it's CCL. I, I just, you know, I was hoping that I could capitalize on their lows right now. What do you think? <laughs> okay, so it sounds like you haven't bought it yet, or you don't hold it. Is that correct, Katie? Correct. Okay. Well, well, let's go over the numbers here with you. We'll we'll talk about it as we go through. Again, the company is Carnival Corporation. Their symbol is CCL. So you did get that correct. Unfortunately, this time, because they're not cruising, they have no P.E. ratio, but that's the same as the industry. 
We do see price of sales does look pretty good at 2.2, about half the industry at 5.2. We do see price to tangible book value. And I'm surprised they still have a price to tangible book value, but it's 1.3 versus not material for the industry. And the company has no cash flow, so there's no price to cash flow for them or the industry. And they used to pay a dividend. They no longer pay a dividend. We do see that their sales year over year down 50%, uh, industry down 46%. No surprise there. Earnings fell by 332%. Industry down 233 Again, no surprise there because they're not making any money. I think they might have a few uh, cruise lines out there that are cruising. I think I I heard. Very few. I'm not sure. I, yeah. I do know that. Here yeah, they opened it up for a little bit, but then they, they shut it down. I'm, I'm a travel agent, too. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, so that's good. So you can keep a closer contact with that. Uh, looking at their balance sheet, and this is what kind of worries me, is that they got a current ratio of 0.9% versus 1.4. And we, we've actually held Carnival in the past, and so they have a, a, a different accounting to when you actually, uh, somebody buys a ticket, it becomes a liability to them, so it makes the current ratio look lower. So that's something different there. But what worries me is their debt to equity is now skyrocketed to 128, but it is below the industry at 196. I know they did take on a lot of debt um, over the last uh, probably six to nine months, which worries me for them. Uh, would you see return to equity is a negative 34 versus a negative 30. Uh, net profit margin for Carnival Cruise Lines is a negative 73% versus a negative 25. Uh, receivable turnover is 21 versus 5.9. Uh, inventory turnover 21 versus 39. Chase, why don't you give us some numbers going uh, forward? Yeah, so current price here for Carnival is $21.32. 52-week high is $51.94, and that 52-week low is $7.80. And I did just kind of want to talk about Carnival a little bit because, sure. I mean, what happened to them is, I'm going to say, completely unfair. I mean, it, totally. it, it sucks what, what happened with yeah. this pandemic. I mean, we looked at Carnival going back to, I think it was the 80s. In every single year, they had a profit. Every single year. Yep. Even through yeah. the Great Recession, they made money. Tech boom and bust, everything. They made money. So it, it, this is just something that it was just completely out of left field that, that hit them. Now, the concern I have with Carnival, as I look out to the November 2021, so next year, the average estimate is a loss of $3.63. Can they continue to burn cash, take on debt? And the debt they're taking on is not cheap debt. I, I remember when they did their raise, I want to say it was like 10%. I think it was approaching 12. Yeah, it was the interest rate that they're yeah. paying on some of that debt. So it's very, very costly, which could really hinder them in the long term. One of the other benefits, though, is could they outlast the other cruise lines, which would give them more market share in the long term? Because I will point out that the high estimate for next year is $3.08. So there are analysts that think they will make money next year. And I am going to say I, I do think they'll start cruising next year once we get this vaccine rolling and we'll reopen the economy. I, I think there's a lot of risk to Carnival but it, it could also return to higher levels once they do start sailing. And, and Katie, I just looked at the balance sheet, and uh, they don't report earnings. Uh, last one was August 31st, so November 31st. They're going to be showing what their numbers look like uh, probably another few weeks, I'm going to say. Uh, back in August, they had $8.2 billion in cash, which could carry them on through. The important thing you want to look at on the next balance sheet coming out in the next few weeks, we'll, we'll guess, is that, how much cash are they burned through, and can they continue on this road? So it's a very risky play. Uh, I do believe people will continue to cruise after we get this vaccination. I think uh, you, you're going to see your cruise you know, bookings go way up. But the thing you got to be careful of investing in this company, can they weather the storm? Because Carnival could still be around five years from now, 
but they do what they call recapitalize to where they wipe out all the equity holders, they pay off all their debt with that and so forth, and they move on. Uh, they'll still be around, but you, as a shareholder, you lose everything. So be very careful here with it. Very risky. Okay. Thank you. You're welcome. And, and let's know, I, and how's the travel business going right now? Is it going okay? <laughs> it's, it's, it's going very slow, but everyone's very optimistic, especially with the new vaccine coming out. Um, I've got most, most folks are going to Mexico and Tahiti, but, um, still apprehensive about going to Hawaii because you have to take the, the test before you get on the plane. Yep. And, and we, we had our uh, party last night for our work and stuff. And, uh, one of the, our employees, he's going to what Nashville and yeah. we said, what about Florida? So there are places that people can travel to and it's, and it is kind of open for business. Cause you wouldn't want to go to Hawaii where nothing's open. Yeah. Quarantine um, for two weeks before <laughs> you can go. anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> So, well, Katie, thank you for calling, and uh, let us know if you do uh, pull the plug on uh, Carnival, but keep in mind, it's very, very risky. All righty? Okay. Thanks. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. And, Chase, that's another one that I I, I, I have the feeling I want to buy it because I feel that you know cruising is coming back. But when I look at the mental side of it and the, the intellectual side, it's like, gosh, don't do it. Don't do it. Well, I mean, the, the big thing we always say is, you know, we do the presentations and webinars and workshops for people is we will not buy high debt companies. No matter what we think is going to mm -hmm. happen, no matter the name of the business, it's not worth the risk. Because if something goes wrong, like I hate to say it, but let's say that they can't start cruising until May of next year. Are they going to make it through then? I don't know if they will. And the other issue is they're not based in the U.S., so they're not getting a whole lot of help from the government because they're domiciled elsewhere. Yeah. So that that's a big <clears> issue that, that I'm seeing with them is can they last? I, I'm quite optimistic that, that they'll be okay. But the big problem is it's not a stock that if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong and it does not be able to cruise, oh, it's going to go from 20 down to 10. It's going to go from 20 to zero yep. because all that everything. debt. Exactly. So it's one of those things that's very hard with investing. And the cruise ships will always be around. They're going to be there and so forth. But you got to be careful when it comes to investing. All righty. Phone number is 866-577-2473. Uh, let's go out to Hamul and speak with Todd. Todd, you're in the Smart Investor with Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning. Um, yeah, I'm looking at Ascent and uh, been kind of eyeing it um, and recently uh, – Zach's rated at a number one, a strong buy. So I was kind of hoping to get your guys' more subdued and conservative opinion. <laughs> okay, well, we, we like that. That's what we are, is conservative, conservative here. Uh, is we'll take a look at uh, Essent Group Limited. I'm going to have Chase also look to see what they do as well. But we do have a good start. Oh, and the symbol, by the way, is E-S-N-T. Uh, I say a good start because the P-E ratio is 10 versus 26 for the industry. So that is a good start. Unfortunately, though, I looked at price of cash flow. That has changed uh, price of cash flow. Uh, not cash flow, I'm sorry. Price of sales, uh, 5.2. That's well above the industry at 1.1. Price of book value, 1.3. That is the same as the industry. And price of cash flow is 11 versus 7.9. So that is a little bit expensive. It shows they pay a 1.5% dividend and only use 15% of their earnings to pay that out. 
We see that uh, their sales growth year over year up 12.6%, well above the industry at 2.7. Unfortunately, though, when I look at the earnings per share over the last 12 months year over year, they fell by 22% when the industry was up 24%. So I got a question of why, why did sales grow and earnings uh, declined? You got to understand that before you invest in the company. Looking at the uh, balance sheet, we got a current ratio that's not material versus 1.6. And that worries me. Do they not have liquidity? Uh, you want to look at the balance sheet to make sure there is cash there and, and liquidity on the balance sheet. Their debt to equity does look very good, 11.3 versus 39.9. So that's a positive. Return to equity is 13.2, well above the industry of 4.6. Net profit margin, wow, 46.6 versus 4.3. And when I say wow, that means check it out. That's a pretty high net profit margin. Make sure it is a good one and they did not sell like assets or something else to get such a high profit margin. Chase, what's the company do and what they got for the earnings over there? Yeah, so they're actually in the mortgage finance business is what ah, they do. Okay. Um, so they do provide mortgage insurance and reinsurance for mortgages secured by residential properties in the U.S. And it is interesting, kind of speaking <clears throat> about Carnival not being domiciled here, they are actually in Bermuda. And it's funny when you look at Yahoo Finance, they give a map and it's just blue with a little dot <laughs> a little for Bermuda. Bermuda. <laughs> but uh, also interesting, I mean, they only have 383 full-time employees. So. Wow. But the company has a $4.8 billion market cap. Hmm, that sounds <laughs> pretty, uh, yeah. pretty good market cap divided by employee ratio there. <laughs> <laughs> but looking forward to December 2021, I do see estimated earnings per share of $5.24. Would give us a very nice target sale price of $84.89. Now, with that said, Todd, I, I am concerned a little bit about the mor mortgage business. I don't see anything like we saw in the financial crisis, but... I, I continue to talk about real estate and how well it's done. I do worry about interest rates ticking up a little bit, slowing down the growth for these companies, and also slowing down the growth of real estate. So I do have a little bit of a reservation there in terms of buying this business just because I have some questions about how much more the mortgage business can really grow over the next few years. Yeah, that, that would be a concern because the numbers do look pretty good on it. And again, I gave you some things to kind of check on, like the, the current ratio. And that could be because it's a mortgage business yeah. and so forth. But you really want to understand this business and also kind of think what is going to happen. And, and Chase, you said they're, they're in Bermuda. Mm -hmm. Could you tell if they were just U.S. company or they do mortgages around the world? It did say just in the United States. United States. Okay, yeah. So, so that's important to know as well. So um, there are some things to check into it because the numbers do look somewhat attractive. But again, as, as always, you got to do some more research before you jump in. And I, I think it could be worth the research. I mean, a nice yeah. PE ratio. i got some good things there worth the research, but I would not do it until you felt comfortable on those other things. All right, Todd? Appreciate it. Thanks, gentlemen. All right. Thanks awesome. for calling. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That does open the phone line, 866-577-2473. That's 866-577-2473. <clears throat> and Chase, uh, besides the calls, we again, we do Facebook. You, we have people on Facebook there. We also have people that like to email in the questions as well. And if you want to do that, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. And I have one here from Jennifer. And she said she'd uh, like to know what you guys think of FPay. Uh, there have been a ton of insider stock purchases this year. Uh, and their 2021 to 2023 earnings are projected to skyrocket. Thanks for your help, Jennifer. Well, let's take a look at uh, the company's called Flex Shopper. I like that name. Sounds pretty good. Uh, and their symbol is F P 
A-Y. Now, unfortunately, there's no P-E ratio. I hate when I see that. It means they're making no money over the last 12 months. Uh, the industry is at 68. We do see price of sales looks very good, though, 0. 0.6 versus 3.71. That is on sale based on the sales. Uh, we do see a price to tangible book value, 5.2. That compares to the industry at not material. And then also, to price to cash flow looks very good, 0. 0.96. That's well well below the industry at 17.9. Looking at the growth rates, we see sales are up 14.3%. That is better than the industry at 11.7. Uh, earnings per share, unfortunately, fell by 8.9. Not as bad as the industry decline of 35, but still you had such a nice sales growth. Where do they go when it comes to the earnings? Why did earnings fall year over year? Please understand that. Unfortunately, I looked at the balance sheet here, and the current ratio, 1.7. That's, that's good versus 1.4. <clears throat> what is not good, though, is a debt-to-equity, 278 versus 121. Uh, if that is a true debt-to-equity and there's nothing fancy with accounts receivable or mortgages or something else, uh, you cannot buy this company with such a high debt-to-equity. We do see return on equity, uh, not material. Maybe there is no equity. That could be a problem. We see net profit margin, <clears throat> a negative 0.96 versus a positive 5.4. That is a disappointment. And then receivable turnover is a 12.2. That's very good because the industry is at 2.9. Chase, do you know what this company does and what are the earnings going for? Yeah, I did look at it. It's kind of interesting. I mean, they, they operate as a lease-to-own retailer and a payment <clears throat> solution provider as well. So they provide residential furniture, consumer electronics, computers, appliances, household accessories, and various other durable goods to consumers on the lease-to-own basis. Uh, of third-party retailers and e-tailers. I haven't heard that. but Yeah, uh, and I want to point that out because that, that's very important because that's why the debt-to-equity is so high because they do leasing, which means kind of like a financing. Yeah, so it's kind of like a rent-a-center almost. Is, yeah. is the sounds like a similar business model, but curious how they're doing in terms of market share and, and where they're located because right now I see they're headquartered in Florida, but I've never heard <clears> of them. They either. might be pretty local because the market cap on this company is just 58 million dollars oh that's very small very tiny yeah. but the current price here is two dollars 72 cents 52 week high three dollars 22 cents and 52 week lows 95 cents now positive on it I'm, I'm quite surprised there's even two analysts following it yeah for 58 million market cap yeah yeah so yeah. of those two analysts the target average estimate for earnings per share for 2021 against 38 cents would give you a target sell price of six dollars and 16 cents i mean that's what she's talking about in regard to the skyrocketing in the earnings because they are estimated to lose 14 cents this year. So if they can turn things around, I mean, this company could be a big, big winner. Problem is, with companies with such tiny market caps, you could get trapped because you start to sell. It's hard to get out of. There's not yeah. much volume. There's not much liquidity in stocks that's small. Yeah. I mean, at least it's not a penny stock, but with a small market cap. I, mean, I don't know if you saw the volume over there, but it's probably not very much is, is my guess. And, and, and also, too, if it does go up, uh, more people are going to try to get out, and all of a sudden it's going to cause the stock price to crater again. So uh, it's something that you might want to buy because it looks a little bit interesting as a, a long-term gamble, I would say, because it seems like it's got some good things going on, maybe part of kind of the future so al almost, but it'd be a very risky long-term hold. But you could make big money on it if the company can turn things around and watch it closely. At and it. I do like that it has estimated earnings i mean that, that's yeah. a big thing that's phenomenal yeah yeah so so we'll say it's more of a risky buy because it's something that has some fundamentals and some reason to buy it but a very very small company so jennifer i hope that helps you out all right phone numbers 866-577-2473 that's 866-577-2473 
2473. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Ashcan. Ashcan, you're on the Smart Investor with Brenton Chase. How can we help you? Good. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Hey, guys. Nice to. Good, good. Uh, I've been looking at SLG. It's just gone up too much. Uh, it's a, re- a REIT. Um, mm-hmm. I was wondering. It's pretty good. It has a pretty good e- uh, e- earnings per share for a REIT, but it's gone up too much. I was just wondering what your target, you know, buy or sell price okay. would be. Yeah, and, and let's take a look at this. I know Chase will kind of look to see what type of read it is as well. And this name sounds familiar. I think we looked at it a few weeks ago, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, I think yeah. so, but okay. yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll do it for you here as well. All right, uh, coming again is uh, SL Green Realty Corporation. Their symbol is SLG. Uh, good start here. I say that because we have a P.E. ratio of 23.4 versus the industry at not material. Uh, price to sales is 3.9 versus 2.1. Uh, price to book value, 0.85 versus 1.5. That's a big positive because it means you're paying 85 cents on the dollar for the tangible assets of this company, which is a real estate REIT. So that's a big positive there. And price of cash flow does check in at 8.3 uh, versus 3.89. Uh, we do see a dividend yield of 5.96%. They use 110% of their earnings to pay that out. That sounds kind of high. A REIT does have to pay out, what, 90%, I believe, of it. But there could be something else going on. But you got about a six percent yield there. Unfortunately, sales year over year are down nine point eight percent. Industry down nine point one. However, uh, for SL Green, the uh, earnings were up twenty two point four percent when the industry was down one hundred eighty three percent. It is a read, so the balance sheet is a little bit different. But I like this total debt to equity is only one hundred six versus two eighty four. I like these reads that don't have a lot of debt to them. Uh, it, it just makes it much, much easier for them to make money going forward. Uh, return on equity is a negative, oh no, I'm sorry, positive 3.9 versus a negative 2.7. Net profit margin is 21.2 versus a negative 4.4. That's a huge positive there. And receiver turnover is 2.9 versus 6.5. And the inventory turnover also good, 2 versus 0.5. And I'm excited to know what this type of REIT this is and what the earnings are going forward. It's the REIT that we're looking into quite heavily. Office REITs. Office space. Oh, okay. So I, I, I like... Uh, <laughs> I was going to say, don't give away our secrets. <laughs> <laughs> Not the name of the company, but the uh, the general area we're looking at is office because, I, I mean, I do believe people have been working from home. Uh, these office REITs have just been crushed. But, oh, everybody's going to work from home. Don't think that's going to be the case. Now, I will point out, we, we did take a look at this one, I'm going to say a month or two ago. I don't remember the exact date, but the problem I had with this REIT is the largest office provider in Manhattan. That's the company. That's why it sounds like So I, I am concerned about office is returning quicker in Manhattan. I think it is going to be a little bit of a shift. I, I think the office plays that are going to be, I'm going to say the safest, because we don't go for the biggest hit. We go for something that we're going to get a nice dividend. We're going to you know get nice cash yeah, flow over time. Mm-hmm. I think this one could be the one that could be the home run, so to speak. Right. But I think the office REITs that are going to do best are the ones that are kind of more in suburban areas where people have been moving because I think yeah. people are more likely to go to the offices in those places. So that is something I'm concerned about. With that said, let's take a little, little closer look at the numbers for SL Green Realty Corp. Current price is $61.05. I mean, you have said it did come up a lot, which is true. The 52-week low is $35.16, but it's still well off its 52-week high of $96.39. So. There is still. Oh no, I'm just talking about since the no, uh, beginning of November, it's gone up like fifty percent. So that's why I'm a little hesitant. So yeah. Like forty. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I mean, it has climbed 
definitely almost almost 100%, so off the 52-week low, but a lot of things has also climbed. But I'm still looking off this right. all-time high, 52-week high. I still think there's some potential. I don't know if they'll get back to that 52-week high, but depending on the dividend and so forth, I think there's some potential with this long-term. Because if I look at December 2021, the estimations for FFO, again, we look at funds from operations rather than earnings per share because these real estate companies, they sell buildings, they have a lot of depreciation. It's going to really make the earnings quite volatile. The funds from operations, I think, really give you a better idea of what's going on at the real estate company. But for 2021, the estimation for FFO of $6.61, I mean, it does give you a target sell price of $107.08. So this company sounds like it might still be collecting on rents and doing okay. I would want to see who their tenants are. In Manhattan, and the other thing I think about uh, as well here is that I, I I do worry about the governor of New York, uh, the mayor of New York. I think the mayor is up for re-election, but I mean you need somebody to turn Manhattan around and turn New York City around, and, and, and I, I don't know if they're the guys who are going to do it. I don't see it. However, I know that they're both, and again, I would political, but kind of have to be. They're both Democrats, and I think next year when Biden is is president, that they want to kind of help him out and be part of the party. So maybe they will try to do things to really turn things around, and this REIT could benefit from New York turning around. My, my big question to those, we do know an area that's benefited quite nicely during this pandemic is the Hamptons. Oh, yeah. So right. are people going to leave the Hamptons and go back to Manhattan? I almost feel like there's going to have to be something that entices them to go back. Uh, yeah, because they have to. They almost have to live in Manhattan or the surrounding area, because I think the Hamptons are pretty far away, so you couldn't commute from the Hamptons to, to New York City. Uh, which I know some people do have like an hour, hour and a half commute to, yeah. to New York City. But um, it, those are the big questions you have to kind of look at because the numbers look good. But it, but are there other things that's going to kind of change that? I, I, this one kind of tempts me a little bit, but I don't like the concentration. I got burned many years ago on a company. I thought it was a great company. It was concentrated just in two, three different areas. This is concentrated in one. So yeah. if, it, if it turns around, it's going to do extremely well, as you said, Chase. Uh, if it if New York City doesn't turn around, it's probably gonna languish and have some problems. Yep. So alrighty. Awesome. Thank you guys. That was great advice. Thank you. Uh oh and that's it. Thanks. Have a wonderful weekend, guys. All right, you too. Thank you for calling. Bye bye. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. That does open the phone line eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. That's eight six six five seven seven two four seven three. Let's go down to Chula Vista and speak with Ed. Ed, you're in the Smart Vessel, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Oh, good morning, gentlemen. I enjoy your show. I'm glad you're still on the air. Well, great. Well, hey. We're glad you're there for us. I have a question for you. Uh, it's the uh, Spider Energy symbol is XLE. I own it. Okay. Uh, so, so it's a Spider. Now, uh, yeah. When I pull this up, I knew it was going to come up for me. Yeah. Uh, Chase, you probably pull it up. I mm -hmm. mean. In, in general, well, well, I'm going to let you talk, Chase. Do you see what's in that that uh, ETF, or what are you seeing? Jumping on me pretty quickly there, but uh, uh, I, know, cause <laughs> I, I got nothing over here, so I got to turn to you. <laughs> so, I mean, the, the thing I'm looking at here, Ed, the, the problem that I've always had with these sector types plays with the spiders. I mean, you look at XLE, about 50% of XLEs in Chevron and Exxon. Really? Yeah. Only two companies. Yeah. Okay. And I mean, then so those two make up over 20% each in the XLE. Then you have ConocoPhillips, which is like 4.7, Schlumberger, which is 4.51. So the top 10 holdings is 77% of the entire fund. So I, at this point, I almost just say, well, if you, you think that energy is a place to be, I would say buy Chevron or buy Exxon because it's such a, a big <laughs> component of it. 
because I, I, I do think that there's oftentimes with these some good things, but also a lot of junk in there. I'd rather get rid of the junk and buy the good stuff. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what I'd have to say. In regard to the energy space, you know, I, I think that there is some opportunity there. We've talked a lot about emotions on the show today. Energy is another mm-hmm. place that I want to be, but it, it's hard to find things to buy that are applying to our formula and our, our target sell prices. And we did make a great uh, energy investment, uh, I'm going to say, what, two months ago, three months ago, which is up, what, almost 50%, around 50%. Uh, and we locked in a great dividend, mm-hmm. but now it's not, it's off the buy list again. So, But uh, we're not big advocates here, Ed, of, of the ETS, because Chase said, and I don't know what the yield is on this ETF, but if you were to buy Chevron and Exxon, uh, right. your yield probably would be higher. Though I do know that Exxon has had some problems. I know they're cutting back on their cap expenditures. They may cut back on the dividend. Um, I, I think your thinking is right, but I think you might have to be patient again for either more information, more earnings coming out for the energy sector or a pullback. But I, I, I think oil just hit a, a high recently, so you may not see that. So uh, It's been interesting because you know I was reading an article the other day in the Wall Street Journal. It was talking about how historically these oil companies move with oil prices. Right. And oil prices have just gone up tremendously while these oil stocks – They've recovered from the lows, of course, right? but they haven't right. really moved in lockstep. And, and part of that, <clears throat> according to the Wall Street Journal, their thesis on it was, you know, people not wanting to be a part of big oil and, you know, looking at the alternative energy space. And I'm not going to agree with that completely because oil will be around for many, many, many years. But it is interesting that they did talk about Exxon not really investing as much in renewable energy where, you know, your BPs yeah. and your Royal Dutch Shell, not American companies, but they're actually investing a lot of their cash flow. They cut their dividends to invest in that renewable space, but that still hasn't done much for their stocks either. Yeah. So it's an interesting spot to be in. Uh, I, I just, I would like to find a good energy company. I, I just haven't found one yet. Well, we do have the refiner in our portfolio, but right. wanted to kind of find an exploration company that, that just... Hasn't really hit our, our metrics. Hasn't seen that yet. So, And do you have any energy in your portfolio at all, Ed? No, just this. Oh, so you do have this. Oh, okay, so you do have this. Percentage-wise, what does it make up? Uh, not not much. Not much. Uh, okay. I got this advice from uh, a gentleman who's passed away, and maybe you know who, who I'm talking about, uh, Boone Pickens, T. Boone Pickens. Oh, I didn't know oh. he passed away. Yeah, I didn't know he yeah, passed away yeah. either. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, I, I would ask you, and I'm, I'll be very quick about it, just sure. your insight perhaps or your opinion on the future of coal in this company with this new administration coming in. Well, I, I guess that will be more of an opinion, but I think uh, with the new administration, I think coal is probably pretty much out the window because I, yeah. I, I do believe this administration really wants to go more towards clean energy. Uh, I hope it does not happen. The, glee, the Green uh, New Deal, uh, that would be very, very expensive. But I, I, I think uh, if that doesn't happen, uh, I, I see no – future for coal unfortunately i'm not excited about coal i think it's still gonna be around yeah. but uh right. i think it's not going to be as easy to uh yeah. kind of operate yeah as it was yeah. uh, the past four years yeah so all right well thank you so much i appreciate your advice okay and thanks for calling have a good day have a nice day bye bye-bye all righty that does open the phone line 866-577-2473 that's 
888-346-2473. And Chase, I thought we'd go back to Facebook and uh, take a Facebook question. Yeah, I still got a few here. So uh, Jason was looking to add more LMNT. I think that's Lockheed Martin, if I'm correct. I think you're right. Yes, LMNT. Yeah. And, and he did kind of have a second question that I think is interesting as well. He said, to balance the portfolio, would you recommend 20 companies at 5%, 25 companies at 4%, or 33 companies at 3.33% each or some other formula? Or 40 companies at two and a half. <laughs> yeah, so, um, I mean, our research has shown that the, there's actually a financial form that shows the, that it's the right number to have. It is we say somewhere between 15 to 20 is the best number to have. Yeah. Um, but you really got to do your research hard. You really got to understand what you're investing into. And when we say 15 to 20, it's not, kind of as Jason pointed out, it's 5% each. It's not, yeah, 15 to 20, I'm going to do 1% here yeah. and then 20% here. It's We normally split it down about, somewhere between, I'd say, 4 to 10%, and we initially buy the same percentage. I'm not going to give that away just right, yet. Right, yeah. but, we won't give that away. But, it, but yeah, you, you're so right, because people say, oh, yeah, I, I, I got Tesla, and they got one share. It's like that, that you, you may be up 400%, but your portfolio is a million-dollar portfolio. I didn't do anything. So when you do invest in something, uh, you have a contrary portfolio, you're going to do better longer term. You'll have more volatility. But what's going to happen is that um, you can't say, well, I don't, I'm not sure about that company, so I'll buy 10 shares, but I'll buy 1,000 shares of this other company, and it, it's going to be across the board pretty much equally percentage-wise. So, all right, so let's take a look at Lockheed Martin. Great question, by the way. Uh, Lockheed Martin, symbol LMT. We do see a P-E ratio of 15.5, well below the industry at 67. Price of sales, 1.6 versus 1.75. We see price to tangible book value, not material, but that is the same as the industry. We also see price of cash flow checks in at 12.9 versus 49.8. Now you got a dividend yield here, pretty good, 2.9%. They use 41.8% of their earnings to pay that out. We see sales were up 10.1%. That compares to the industry being down 3.6, so that's positive. And also earnings per share were up 12% year over year for the last 12 months when the industry was down 68.5, so Lockheed doing pretty good here. We do see that the uh, current ratio is 1.3, just about the same as the industry at 1.4, but debt to equity, very high, 255.9, just about double the industry at 132. We see return on equity, this is very strange, 149 tells me their equity is probably very low, but check to understand that. Net profit margin, 10.3, very good, the industry is 2.6. Inventory turnover, two, uh, 4.9 versus a 4.6. And in an in, in inventory turnover, right, that was received turnover. Inventory turnover is a 16.5 uh, versus 2.4. So numbers looking pretty good here. What do you got on earnings going forward, Chase? So current price for Lockheed Martin, $361.71, 52-week high, $442.53, and that 52-week low, $266.11. Now I go out to December 2021. I do see estimated earnings per share of $26.12 would give us a target sell price of $423.14. So that's about 20% away from its current price. We normally like a 30% margin of safety. So you might see a pullback here and take that as an opportunity. Or also we are coming up on the end of the year here. And I go out to 2022. I do see estimated earnings per share of $28.10. That would give us a target sell price of $455.22. So I, I like the valuation aspect. I, I think you could be a little bit more patient with it here, but I, I think there's some potential. And, and I'd want to look at uh, Lockheed Martin more to what they do. I know they're a defense contractor. 
but but there's other companies that they'll have like that's their main business but they have like other businesses which are kind of like a surprise business that kind of carries them through some difficult times uh we do again now we have a new administration coming in uh how are they going to be towards defense i don't think they're going to be bullish and increase it but i'm hoping and i believe they're not going to decrease it either so you got to be careful with these companies because if you know the administration says oh we, we spent too much on on military and, and defense, uh, that could be a problem. Yeah, because I think Lockheed did, does the fighter jets <clears throat> and stuff like that. But, yeah, you're right. I don't know if they have anything else outside of defense and, and if they have any other things. I mean, I do know defense contractors uh, do have kind of the IT side as well, which I, I think that's where the new wars are going to be yeah. fought is, yeah. you know, trying to infiltrate your computer systems and so forth. You need to have good IT defense. Are they involved in that space or are they just in the fighter jets? Yeah, a lot, lot, lot of questions on, on that. And you should ask these questions in all the businesses you're holding your portfolio because um, when you're looking at what you own, you hate to get a surprise like, oh, I didn't know they had that. Uh, you've got to understand what you're investing into. Well, and that kind of circles back to Jason's original question of how much do you put into the portfolio? If you're going to do the way we invest and actually buy the 15 to 20 companies, don't just say, oh, um, yeah, I kind of like that one. I'll buy, you know. I'll buy, you know, 5% of the business. If you don't understand it, that's a terrible investment decision because if that falls, that's going to really hurt your portfolio. You have to do the research. You have to understand those companies because we always say we kind of take more of a rifle approach rather than the shotgun approach. Mm -hmm. Shotgun approach, hey, you hope you hit something. If you don't, well, you know, there's lots of other bullets with that one that was kind of spread out. Rifle approach, we're really trying to dial in on, on what we're understanding when we're buying it. And also, too, very important to look at your portfolio. And I remember back in 2008, 2009, um, I bought two banks in the portfolio. And there's like three or four other good banks I could have bought as well, but I didn't do it because you don't want to become over-concentrated in any type of industry. So make sure that when you're looking at something and that there's a hot industry, well, you already got maybe 10 12% of the portfolio in that industry already. Even though it's a great industry, don't keep buying more of that look for a different industry, look for something in maybe transportation, look for something in finance, look for something in technology. But, but, and, and people, and again, that was now over 20 years ago, the tech boom and bust, people had some, some of them 90% of their money in technology and they got killed. Oh so, yeah. It yeah. was terrible. And I know we're closing the show. I did want to sneak in one more sure, sure. big positive that we saw this last week. Household net worth hit a new record of $123.5 trillion, up 7.6% compared to last year. Remember, things aren't all bad. There's still a lot of positives out there. I like it. I like it. <clears throat> okay, thank you for <clears throat> listening to the Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546. 546-4306 or visit our website smartinvesting2000.com that's smartinvesting2000.com from our daily educational information on investment tips go to our Facebook page Smart Investing with Brent Chase we'll see this show is sponsored in part by Thomson Reuters and closing song is performed by local entertainer Roman Palacios have a great day we'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show